0: Get a gun.
2: Hello and welcome to Slamfire Radio. This is episode 254 for April 26th, 2018. I'm one of your hosts, Adrian Michaud. I'm Brian. I am Trevor. Um, why I kind of wanted Trevor? to say I am Groot. There, it was really kind of it's
0: going anyway.
2: Yeah, uh, Kelly uh, hurt her back. She was uh, chasing a puppy, so she's not able to make it on the show today. Oh, really?
1: I I thought she was upset cuz the Leafs lost.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can't be upset about the Leafs losing. You'd well, be no, upset, you'd be chronically depressed.
1: Well, I she, know. She is, but she was remembering when they won the the cup the last time um cuz she, she was there. She she saw it happen.
0: That was the oh, she might have geez. been like what?
1: High school? Something like yeah, like oh early goodness. high school probably, right?
0: I was going to make a Bill Barocco joke, but that was way better. <laughs> like they won the cup and then he died and then they didn't win another cup until they found him so i'm like what are we going to do dig him up go hide him somewhere find him again so we can win another cup like yeah i also know why spring is late because the leaves are still playing so mother nature doesn't know what's going on she's like hey, can't, be, can't be spring because the leaves aren't on a golf course yet so i better just keep the snow coming
1: yeah
2: uh cool all right why don't we get into uh, what we did in guns? What we did, what we did in guns this week is brought to you by the Calgary Shooting Center, Canada's premier firearms retailer. You can get on their wait list for the Glock 19X by emailing orders at the shooting Brian, did you want to take to start us off?
1: Sure. Um, I went and I bought an MTM box today. There, that's it exciting nice i spent some money no i um, just bring that on us oh. <laughs> just, yeah no crazy eh? just woo, big spender um no i uh <clears throat> i did some uh testing i guess it was last weekend with the um with the ibi barrel and and just doing the ladder test for velocity and found some some flat spots and velocity that i want to use um for further testing for grouping so that'll happen in the next couple of weeks. I'm hoping um, Then I spent some time with the range after that, with the 1022, just working on some offhand shooting, just, just trying to get that subconscious breakdown, that kind of, kind of deal. Um, th- it's coming along. It's, I have months until national, so that's good. I can, I can keep working on this, this stuff and, and finally get where I want to be. Um, I did a little bit of dry fire practice with the 320 last night. I got to do some more, before the weekend because I've got a pistol clinic on Saturday up at Milkun. So I'll be spending the day working on pistol fundamentals. So I should work on some fun- fundamentals here before I go do that. So other than that, I'm, yeah, that's, uh, well, a MTM box. That's, that's, that's it.
2: <laughs> cool. Okay. Uh, Trevor, did you
1: buy an MTM box today?
0: No, I bought two 1911s. <laughs> like every other week
1: because because you bought two you win okay but only because you bought two <laughs>
0: um i started off Adrian and i forgot to mention last week that monday of last week we were on we like shooting and we had a lot of a lot of fun a lot of fun i added it to the show uh last week's show you did yep you did i'm not sure if uh, some people just stop the show and don't listen to me i know i mm-hmm. a lot of my podcasts as soon as i the outro starts i just shut it off maybe yeah so uh but anyway it's something that we did and it was it was a heck of a lot of fun um there was whiskey and uh no uh no um you're allowed to swear so yeah there was whiskey and swearing it was it was all good in uh, generous of amounts of both Generous amounts of both, yeah. I knew, see, Adriel, I knew there was going to be a snow day the next day. The forecast was calling for a severe freezing rain warning, and uh, yeah, that's why I just cut loose on a, on a Monday night like it was a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness, because I don't think I got out of bed until 11. <laughs> yeah, so um, what else? Oh, uh, the FN FNS from Adriel arrived. So for those listeners who are watching, here it is. And Adriel, I have a question for you about said pistol. Yep. You put grip tape on it, Uh obviously. But did you also put something underneath the grip tape first to build it up? Or is that just the regular stippling under there?
2: That's the regular strip stippling under there? So there's two grips. Did you see the other grip? Yeah, but that's the
0: one I always ran. I always ran the arched.
2: No, there's nothing underneath there. It's just grip tape.
0: It feels uh, significantly larger than my other FNS without the grip tape. So I was wondering if you built up the panels with something first. Okay, cool. I'm undecided if I want to take it off or not. It feels too large, but it f- But at the same time, I'm really impressed with the texture. And, and, you know, you get your hand locked on there. It's not moving. So yeah, I'm yeah. going to be adding some to the front. Oops. I'm going to be adding some to the front strap of uh, one of my new, or two of my new 1911s that are coming. Um, so yeah, so <clears throat> I decided that I would sell off the Narinko that I built, and we're going to talk about uh, that in the Patreon episode. We're going to have a special Patreon uh episode later tonight called Lipstick on a Pig, where Adriel and I will discuss our experiences building Narinko, or turning Narinko pistols into Ipsic pistols or three-gun pistols, what have you. Um, I, you know, project was done. It was fine. Um... It, the reason why I dumped it is it didn't fit inside the ipsic box. So because it didn't fit inside the ipsic box, I obviously couldn't use it as a backup pistol without doing more milling work to the slide. I'd have to remove the sight, weld the dovetail in again, and instead of a Novak cut, cut a bullmire cut, which would be another $100, $150, plus $100, $150 sight. It was just getting a little ridiculous. Um, and I still needed to find a taller front sight. So I said, "The heck with it," and sold some archery equipment so that I could pay for a uh, ten witness in nineteen eleven. Now, unfortunately, the costs went up because the euro went up, so everything that we're buying out of Europe it costs more than it did a year ago. Um, so the ten witnesses are now over a thousand bucks. They used to be under a thousand dollars, and they were like the best sub one thousand dollar nineteen eleven you could get your hands on, but they weren't. I still, you know, think that all 1911s, except for the Norrincos are overpriced for what you get. Um, but the Tan Foglio was a fairly decent value for the for the money. I did get one last year for the price table at SummerSlam, and it was a little rough. Like I wasn't overly impressed with it. Well, I'm happy to report that the quality has gone up with the price. The fit and finish is better, and the the fit. It, it, there's hardly any rattle to it. It rattles less than a new Colt does. Um, but certainly, um, it, there's some new wrinkles in the shop that don't rattle. And this 10 glue rattles. Um, but you, did you know, did you shoot it much yet? I haven't, it's I haven't taken possession bit. of it yet. I got to, uh, we got to, I'll finish paying for it on Friday when I get paid for some of the stuff I sold. And then, um, got to get it transferred and registered in my name. So, but what I did was I took all the STI parts that I bought for the 1911, took them off. Yeah, even the um, the hammer, the sear, the disconnector, all that stuff that was STI on the Norengo is going to get dropped into the um, Tanfoglio. So I'll have the DTS safeties on there. Something else that the Tanfoglios are doing now, at least the nine mils, are coming with what looks to be G10 VZ style grips which is really cool. It's just similar to what I have on my other 1911s. Um, just for our listeners, what's G10? G10 is the uh, um, material that the grip is made out of, is it not? Yeah, it's it's like a plastic
2: material that's that's very... Uh, it maintains its sharpness for a long time. Right. So um, the listeners
0: can't see this, but I'm holding up what will be Muffin's 1911, and there's a nice set of uh, VZ grips on there that he got from Captain Andy. And uh, yeah, it's a hard... Plastic and they machine all the cuts into it just to, to give the grip its texture. And like Adriel says, it doesn't wear down, it stays sharp and um, grippy. There's a lot of gription and it maintains its gription for a long period of time. Yes, yeah. so 10 are coming with those right out of the box now. So the price went good
2: up, good oil resistance, um, good water resistance. So if your guns get sweaty, or if your hands get sweaty, it'll it's, it's still really good. Um, and they're it's a very, very stiff plastic, so it does not bend. It, uh, it's, it maintains its shape.
0: Definitely. Uh, so you know, the price of the witness went up by a hundred bucks, but the value of those grips is a hundred dollars. Go, go, go! Price a set of VZ grips uh, for fun or um, Techware grips from Techwell, the GTO ones. I mean, they're all they're all a hundred to a hundred and forty bucks. So, um, so the gun arrived. I drive out to the shop to look at it. I'm impressed with the fit and finish and i'm going down the road and i'm like hmm i should get one in 45 and then i'll do them both up for ipsic and i'll have uh one in minor and one in major so if i want to shoot a classic major match i'll have one if i want to shoot a classic minor match i'll have one and the 10 folio will act as a backup to my sti so uh i don't need six 1911s which is kind of where we're at right now five yeah so um well i suppose that one is technically muffins, well, we're waiting for his license renewal to go through, it's in my name, and then I'll transfer it back to him, but I got a lot of 1911s, and um, so I'm going to sell off, well, I already sold the one that I, I worked on and, and re and all that, that's gone, I sold that to an uh shooter from Hampton, and the other one that um, I had bought for Archie Perry and then he decided he didn't want it and I had it all tuned up and stuff, I'm going to put that one for sale too, so so I don't need, I don't really want to sell it though, but I don't need this many 1911s. And I don't need a bunch of 1911s that I don't use. So I'll have mm-hmm. th- basically I'm going to get down to three or four and they'll all kind of be for IPSC and at least get used. There's a whole pile of safe Queens in here right now that I never get around using. So, so anyway, we ordered one in 45 and that'll be on layaway. You'll, uh, you'll get paid before he gets paid for that one. Adriel, I haven't forgotten about you yet. Um, I might as well throw myself under the bus because Kelly's not here to do it because, you know, I haven't paid for the FN yet. So <laughs> usually usually I can get one up front, but if I want a second one from Adriel, I've got to at least pay off the one that I already have, which I think is fair. I think it's fair. Um, that's, how, that's how a drug dealer would do it, right? Exactly. I can't free. front you another kilo until you pay off the first kilo. And keep me coming back. <laughs> yeah, you know how to do it. Yeah. Um, and then so Saturday, Denis was teaching a uh, firearms education course so i went and opened the shop and ran the shop by myself on saturday for three hours and i didn't have a single customer so i used that time to work on filthy's high power filthy's got a pretty unique high power it was made in canada for china and it used to have a um, tangent sight on the back you know basically like a rifle sight Yeah, tangent sight. Okay, good. So, and you know, the back of the grip also has a slot for the stock and stuff. Um, He had somebody work on this gun, and what they did was, and Adriel, I think I'll send you some pictures of this, and maybe you can post them in the show notes. Someone cut off the tangent sight, cut a dovetail for a regular rear sight, but then stippled the top of the slide, and it's just—it's really awful. It's a crime what they did. what they did now I think I talked about this before this was a guy who was you know just learning to to work on guns and and now he's a very accomplished gunsmith and does beautiful stuff yeah, but, I um, think this, yeah so so I worked on that all Saturday and that was a, a lot of fun I'll send the before and after pictures uh, and then last night and tonight just before the show I was over at the uh, local um, hockey arena getting ready for promotion plus which is a trade and convention show. A Chamber of Commerce show where local businesses put in booths. So the gun club has a booth there right next to uh, the gunsmith. So I'll be working both of those booths off and on starting tomorrow night until Sunday at 5 and pumping the CCFR and the show and hopefully um, selling memberships and answering questions and arguing with
2: antis. Argue with the pro gunners too. I'll argue with argue anybody. with both of them equally if you can. Yep. Yep.
0: Tell me, tell me, you're if your gun is better than my gun. Okay, thirty odd six is better than three oh eight. Convince me. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Adriel? What have you been up to?
2: Uh, let's see here. Um, I actually had uh, a buddy of mine uh, say like, "Hey, I got some bad lever stuff, and my stuff's corrosive." And I said, "Really? Uh, can you get me some cases?" So he got me some, and uh, they're from a different factory. These ones are from Factory Nine Four Five, and they were made in two thousand three, and. Uh, do I need a drum roll? No, they are corrosive. Uh, so there's the non-corrosive one. There's a the corrosive one. I did this last night and uh, it's starting to turn brown already. So I guess that means that lever is selling both corrosive and non-corrosive ammo as non-corrosive. Yeah. At least the 762 by 54, um, which I mean, they could have been sold the stuff as non-corrosive. Maybe the guys tested like the first crate and it was like, yeah, this stuff's non-corrosive and they had like crates from this factory and another factory. And, this factory, their QC may not may not have been as great, and they just kind of like I don't know mix the primers in or put the wrong ones in or had like a ton of old primers that they uh, kind of threw in. So uh, yeah, definitely corrosive on there. I uh, I shot the local three gun match on Saturday. Uh, it was good. It was forty two shooters. Really uh, long day. <laughs> we had some uh, we had some really good st- stages. Uh, our long range. This is uh, this is like our first year in three where we got to use our long range because he was shut down by the cfo for so long and we got to shoot out to uh two to three hundred meters and uh that was a really interesting uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fun shooting out there um i made my hits out there because i, I went to the range before and <laughs> i could i could hit that stuff out to 500 with uh with my ar um so that part wasn't as challenging but it was interesting doing a, like, d- running, like, hoofing it, and then trying to make your hits out uh, out at distance, because uh, that's where you could really see your breathing uh, moving your scope all over the place, like, you especially um, uh, on our stages where you had to shoot that at the end of the stage. So that was really cool. Um, I had some jams on my AR-15, uh, <laughs> and I was like, why are these happening? I got home and I'm, like, cleaning my bolt, and it's like, man, this extractor is really stiff. It's really stiff, And, uh, funny enough, I've never cleaned Uh, Trevor. Have you ever cleaned your extractor out
0: all the time? Which gun are you talking about? I remember on an air 15. Um, yeah, honestly, I can say I've drifted a pin out Uh once removed it and cleaned it and
2: stuff. You don't have to drift a pin. The drip. the pin will just come out of your extractor. Brian, how often do you clean your extractor on your air 15? I,
1: I have, I have cleaned it.
0: Um, cleaning it and removing it to clean it, it's not the same thing i I clean no. it often I've only removed one from a bolt once
1: uh, yeah like maybe it probably when I clean the um when I clean the barrel like maybe five hundred rounds ish okay. yeah. maybe a thousand not not very honestly it's probably more like when I think of it, yeah. I have, I've not
2: cleaned mine very often. And there was a ton of brass shavings under that. thing. <laughs> okay. So you, yeah. you think that's why you were getting those, those stoppages. So I was having fail to feeds. Uh, the bolt wasn't going all the way into battery. And, uh, I don't know if that was the extractor trying to cam over the rim and just not making it. Uh, because I had a, like my first fail was a double feed, uh, where I dropped my, uh, dropped the bolt on it. Um, went to fire and noticed that the bolt was out of, out of uh, battery ripped on it and promptly gave myself a double feed because the other case was sitting in the chamber already. Yeah. So I think, uh, something was caught like, I want to say like the recoil <sighs> spring or something like that, but like my, I've run that bolt since June last year. So it's not the bolt. It's not, I don't know what else it could be. Something else dragging, maybe not, not enough oil could be, but, uh, uh, I, cleaned out the uh, uh extractor claw and, and that area there and there was a lot of gunk
1: in there a lot of gunk yeah you, it's you don't always have to just take it apart in order to clean it you can just use a dental pick too like just to get in underneath there just not a bad idea just if you're so doing regular found, bolt maintenance
2: yeah so the the claws like that i found like over here by the the donut and the spring oh. that's there's a there was a bunch of like really nasty okay, yeah. stuff in there Take You i was thinking maybe yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was stopping it from, from going in and and allowing it to come over as easily. I don't know. Like that might be the issue. Maybe I just didn't oil it, but um, it was really nasty. And that is a super easy thing to clean because that little pin, all you need to do is push it on the extractor a little bit and poke it out. There's nothing holding that pin in it. uh, It comes out very easily. So
1: yeah, I usually use my firing pin to kind of start it and then you pull it out and just, just don't lose stuff. That's all. Um, Did
0: you find <laughs> reassembly a bit of a pain? No, it's, it's easy. Really? Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah. I got an extra power extractor spring here. Um, and seems to me, I tried to install it once and man, I just couldn't get it compressed.
2: The extractor or the ejector? Extractor. Okay. It, yeah. The extractor yeah. is, is easy.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I've never had a, had an issue. Um, talking this about. small a NEA bolt after all. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things I don't know if the list listeners, um, well, the watchers can see this. Uh, a valuable thing, oh, yeah. a magnetic dish for small bits. I it's, need one of those for work. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I use I use only yeah, two. Exactly. I've
2: got, actually I've got two here somewhere. Yeah,
1: they're great just for chucking stuff in. Oh, I I know where those parts are. They're in the bottom of the magnetic dish. Mm-hmm. So everybody should have that.
2: Princess Auto. Yeah. Exactly. Yep.
1: This is totally Princess, Princess Auto. Auto, yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, if you still, need if you yeah. need stuff that you don't need high quality, get go Princess Auto. They will have it. So,
2: yeah, okay. a parts dish with a, a magnet on it's fine. Anyways, um, yeah, that was the match. A um, couple of really interesting stage designs, some really cool stuff, and uh, yeah, it was good. I got uh, I got first in Tac Ops. Um, I didn't get first overall. There was a guy out of Saskatchewan who uh, Ryan, uh, who's. Uh, Uh, on a different level than the rest of us (laughs) yeah and uh you know came came to play and 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 beat us all at at uh, five of the six stages yeah so (laughs) but uh, you know that's okay uh let's see i ordered that cz shadow i think on thursday did i mention i bought it on thursday yeah you did i think it was on thursday and Monday came in, it's already here. So <laughs> transfer and mailed and uh, at my door already. Nice. nice. Yeah. I had a 24 hour,
0: my second 24 hour transfer within a couple of weeks. Um, so tell me all about it, man. Uh, you've had a, a shadow one and mm-hmm. now you've got the shadow two. Yep. And
2: it's very heavy. <laughs> it's so heavy. It's uh the other thing that happened at the, at the match uh, two people got disqualified uh, by having their shadow twos jump out of their holsters. This is a very heavy gun and trying to hang on to the poor trigger guard. Like I feel really sorry for any holster trying to hang on to this big tank with, <laughs> with a little bit of plastic. Um, You definitely need to make sure that your, uh, your holsters are, are, are really tight with these things.
0: Oh, you gotta, you gotta, and, tested ahead of time. I got DQ yep. from my last three three gun match for the exact same reason. My strike one came flopping out of my holster. Yeah. And uh I just didn't didn't set the tension correctly.
2: Yeah, well the other thing is like but between temperatures, like the temp- the tension can change. So um you know if it's cold one day or like That's super right. duper hot the next day, you know that might just cause the issue for you right there so while you're in that safe area it might not be a bad idea just to check the tension uh on your on your pistol holster and then remember
0: once you put a mag in it's going to be even worse and you can't put a mag in the safety area so if you think it's tight give it a little bit more to accommodate to uh account for the magazine
2: oh okay. you're saying the extra weight from it yeah 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 exactly
1: Are there any holsters like the Safari land ALS that fit those pistols, like something with like a mechanical release that you have to disengage as you're drawing the pistol?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I don't know if I want to go that way. Um, like I had a, I had a mechanical release on my FNS holster and I took it off. I never used it and never needed to use it. Never felt I needed to use it. Um, I think with this guy, I'm just going to really crank it down tight. And uh, uh, taking this thing out of the holster is going to be an act of violence.
0: <laughs>
2: ah, good. <laughs> your draw should be a violent movement done with purpose. <laughs> yeah, not one of these, like, I guess I'll pull it out. And no, I was like, get out of there. Let's get going. <laughs> yeah. g- draw your gun by the throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's very heavy. Um, I thought some of the Shadow Twos came with an extended safety, like in the box. But then I was reading online, and some do, and some don't. Um, I think I want the extended safety. And then someone on I, I posted I that just to installed them.
0: I installed uh-huh. the extended safeties on my section coordinator's gun. Super easy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then you yeah. like if you look at my Tanfoglio here, um, it has a extended safety on the strong hand Ooh, side. That's big. And it yeah, and it acts as a thumb rest, as you can see. Yeah. So if you put the extended safety on your um, Shadow too, it'll do the same thing.
2: Yeah. And yeah, the, the, the nice. one that they include with it is is like super, super skinny. There is yeah. not much there. Well, it's not intended to be used, right? Yeah. Yeah, they in ipsic production, you wouldn't even use that, right? That's you right. would put the hammer down and then yep. just double action, single action. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. And you should be doing the same thing in three-gun. What's faster? Just pulling out the gun and shooting it or pulling out the gun, disengaging the safety, and then shooting it?
2: Oh, but that that oh, double-action versus single-action.
0: That Come double. On. You're not Come talking on. about a revolver. You're talking about a Shadow 2, the, one of the nicest triggers in the world. You can make yeah. that first five-pound shot. Stop it.
2: Yeah. For the money, yeah.
0: Did you notice also that um, that has a steel guide rod where your Shadow had a plastic guide rod?
2: Uh, well, my shadow one was used and I can't remember if it came with a, if it had a steel, somebody installed it after the fact.
0: Yeah. I can't remember if it had one or not. This one now has steel right out the box, adjustable yeah. rear sight right out the box, which you said you didn't care never about. Use but it. for me, that's a huge thing.
2: I will never use that adjustable sight. I will shoot it as it came from the factory. <laughs> You're just that good. <laughs> I will use the force. You put little. that thing in there, and then you pull a trigger. And because it's a CZ Shadow Two, it'll go in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So,
0: in fairness, the adjustable sight is for people with a bad flinch that need to correct it with a with a sight. Yeah, you
2: need to yeah. you need to drift the uh, the sight way over to the right and way down low. Andrew, so not it'll...
0: even kidding. I've seen that at SummerSlam when I shoot people's guns for uh, chronograph. And all of a sudden, you know, the bullet should have went in the middle and it was way off. And they're like, Uh yeah, my sights are
2: adjusted for my flinch. I just literally just roll my eyes. Well, I mean, some people will do that. Um, Some people say that they're adjusting it for their flinch. Some people say like, oh, no, I have it adjusted for me. But it's Mm. like, do you realize that you're flinching? And that's why they're going down there. It's not like like your eye alignment along the sights are different than everyone else's. It's, uh, yeah. Yep, yep um and I went and go went and picked up a couple of mags oh man I love what the, like this is this is an expensive pistol um but it's really nice what they did with the mags with these things they from the factory come with Mechgar mags it's like an all-metal body plastic uh, base plate and uh that's it you can just go buy these things for like 30 35 bucks kind of a thing so the mags are extremely reasonable um you know my fs mags were like 75 something like that for an all metal plastic uh, 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 base plate magazine. These guys are 35. Love it. Love that they went with aftermarket.
1: That is what they should have used for the CZ Scorpion for mags. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For the CZ Scorpion. Yeah, they totally should have used these things. Yeah. It's not hard. They're really like they're decent mags. They're all metal. Oh, yeah. They've got the two cutouts on both sides. Uh The followers really nice. The base plate itself is is decently thick. I still wouldn't mind getting some aluminum ones. I saw some at the local shop here, but they're like 50 bucks a pop. Too much. Get get, get brass. Uh, yeah, I have to get brass. Not even aluminum's good enough. No. I talked to, so at the match, uh, Spectre Ballistics sponsored it, and they gave away a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, hey, uh, you want to make a bunch of money? Take a CZ mag. Go make a bunch of base plates for this thing in aluminum or brass or something like that. Bring them in and sell them for like 20, 30 bucks. And you'll sell a gajillion of them to, well, not a gajillion of them because there's not, not that many people in uh, in 3Gun, but you'll sell some of them.
1: Now, are th- are the mags the same for the for the Shadow One and the two, or did they do something weird to change them, or do you know?
2: Uh, well, the Shadow One they use like um, the uh, plastic bottom. I don't oh. know if you. can. I, I'm pretty sure you can use them interchangeably. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Normally, the Shadow One ones have the the crappy plastic bottom, metal top for the oh. for the ten rounders. Right, and uh, I don't like those. I I, no. I prefer like a full metal um body on the magazine because it makes it a little bit heavier so it's uh you know going to be more apt
1: to kind of shoot out of there um right. when you when you hit the button um and your spring is not as compressed right cuz it the spring is actually full length um your your magazine capacity is limited in a different fashion so you're not trying to cram that 10th round in really hard so yeah it's, yeah yeah
2: yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a big heavy gun and <laughs> it's got a fantastic trigger on it. The magazine release is really good. Um, I really like the ergonomics on this one with this. Uh, it's got a bit of a higher cut on the on the back there. And it's got to cut in a little bit more on the trigger guard here uh, compared with the Shadow 1. Um, so that kind of lets you get your, your hand a little bit higher on the gun. And uh, that's been really nice. Um, I just got the transfer notice for like the paper version in today uh so you know once i get closer to it i'll uh take this guy
1: out to the range nice i'm thinking with the popularity of um uh, the uh the tang and the cz CZs for um for production class in ipset maybe they should just have like a cz Tangfolio folio class just put them all just shoot those and then people with glocks and other stuff can just shoot glocks
2: Well, if you're going to go there, you'd have to put like a weight limit on it or something like that. So like production guns, it's like, hey, guys, production guns since the 90s should have been like one of these polymer uh, striker fired pistols. And that's the class. And this thing is something else.
1: Oh, you know what? Or they just make a polymer striker fired class. That's it. It must be polymer, must be striker fired.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that'd be an option. Do something like that. I don't know i don't care i don't shoot much hip sick i just shoot three gun in three gun it's like as long as it doesn't have a comp or a red dot who cares so
1: yeah exactly no no it's it's um uh, they're uh, really nice guns everyone i've ever heard of uh really really likes them i've i've shot a shadow one and i thought it was great it had, it had some work done to it apparently but uh, wow fantastically accurate pistol just really cool
2: so- yeah you know. I wonder what kind of mods I should do first, because it's not like me to just leave a gun alone oh, and just go shoot yeah. it.
1: No, no, you should you should modify it a bunch before you shoot it the first time. I should dremel fact, something that, right away. You shouldn't even dry fire it before that's, you modify
0: it. That's so funny because Andy asked me the same thing. He said, Your new Tanfoglio and nine mil, you're gonna take it out and see how it runs first before you modify it. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, have no, I have no intention of running it in its current configuration. So why would I waste one round of ammo through it in its current configuration? Ripping all the junk parts out, putting all the STI parts in, and let's go. And yeah. then if it doesn't work, we'll make it work with these parts. I now, add one yeah. at a time thing.
1: Now we we see that and we see that and we say that like for new shooters, they do the same thing. They're like, "Well, oh, I've got this gun and I don't know anything, but I'm going to get it modified before I start shooting it." You guys saying that you're going to modify it before you shoot it. Well, you guys have been around pistols for a while. You've, you, you, you've got some experience behind you. Yeah, if sure. it's somebody who's newish, shoot the gun you got. Cause it'll do better than you the, out of the box. Oh, so just to
2: the be odd- fair, like the, the shadow Two is going to do better than me out of the box. Yeah. Just flat out. It's a better yeah. gun than I am a shooter. There you go.
1: And you're, so you're not making modifications because you feel you have to, you're making them because you want to, because it's a free country, and money, America. Uh, America. And I
2: am, I am a bubba, <laughs> and this thing will know my Dremel. <laughs> Here's the <thing. laughs> I feel its bite. But
0: I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you something, Adriel, before you go full crazy on your gun. You guys know that one of the things I love most about firearms is working on them and customizing them and modifying them, right? I yeah. like. There's a, a barely a gun in here that I have not modified, customized for Lottide in one way or another,
1: yeah, except for this one.
0: This is my Tanfoglio Limited Custom Extreme, and it's not had a single solitary thing done to it. I took it out of the box. I adjusted the over-travel screw on the trigger, and now I just shoot it. It needs nothing. There's, oh, you know, there's a new aftermarket spring. Yeah, that's super. I'm happy for that a new aftermarket spring. The gun is fine the way it is. And guess what, Adriel? Your Shadow 2 is actually fine the way it is. B- except for possibly a spring kit and possibly polishing some trigger surfaces. Or just shooting it a lot and it'll polish yeah. itself. Exactly. Exactly. The only thing that you might want to consider doing to that is a re- is a um, lower recoil spring and a lower uh, mainspring. And then making sure you always shoot federal primers to reduce a no black... And then uh,
2: brass grips. And then uh, brass
0: grips. I mean, you
2: could, but. No, no, I don't want my handgun jumping out of my holster. Lorette
0: Lorette had a um, stock two, Tanfoglio stock two Australian length. And he installed the brass grips on them. And it weighed more than my 40. It was ridiculous. Those brass grips, after tax and shipping were three hundred and forty
2: dollars. Oh my god. Nope. <laughs> nope.
0: Don't for want to do that fat, for two no. slabs of brass.
1: No, you you should buy a a streamlight and uh take the battery out and fill the cavity with lead and just strap that on the gun and
2: <laughs> get ju- get one that. of those uh I've got a like a Lee production pot, just like heat it up yep. and then get the streamlight and put it underneath and just go <laughs> and just fill it up <laughs> like a soft serve ice cream. <laughs> Break it off yeah. at the top. <laughs>
1: We're done. <laughs> Leave enough room that you can screw the battery cap back on at the at the end, so it looks it looks right. <laughs> you don't want it. <laughs> what's, what's this glob of lead <laughs> at the, the back of your light? That's no good.
2: Oh, that'd be a ton of weight. No, I don't think I'll do that. I think I think the Shadow Two, as it is, is probably. You know, I I I didn't place bad with even with my FNS. My Glock has been really nice to me, um, with just that that better trigger and want the Magwell. And the magwell's fantastic yeah, on like that Glock. Just, just mail it to me or tomorrow.
1: Nope, no, I no, whoa, 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 no, no, it's my turn. Totally can it's My turn nope. to buy uh, an Adriel gun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can have the gun, I just want the magwell.
1: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we can make that happen,
2: Brian. You want a Glock or uh, an XD in 45? This is where you laugh. <laughs> Oh, he's frozen.
0: Oh, oh no, he's not well, frozen.
1: I was because my brain <laughs> locked up and I can't even, co- I would rather have a high point in 40. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> wow. Hot XD lovers on this show. All right.
1: I like, honestly, I see so few XDs. Uh, like I, I don't know. I think I fired one once. I I never see them. They're never around. Like they're, they're fi- the least- it's,
2: it's a polymer striker fired pistol. They're fine. I have seen them uh I have seen the firing pin stop in the channel from gunk and freezing on two guns. Um but other than that, they're the same as everything else out there. Yeah, no. I no. Uh, which is to say like I, th- I think there's something to be said about having a gun that's really popular. Like if you have a Glock and you want to modify it or do something to it, there's a lot of parts out there. You want to buy a mag for a Glock? It's 25 bucks. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's something to be said about buying a gun that's really popular uh, because you get that aftermarket support uh, for the platform. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, yep, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Trevor, what kind of holster are you running with your CZ slash tank folio slash they're all the same? Um, they're not all the same. Yeah, um, all
0: the, same. <clears throat> the 10 Foglios and, and, and CZs don't use the same holster. Uh, anyway, um, to answer your question, I started off using this for my um, 10 Foglio. And this is known as the Ghost Ultimate Holster. And it just covers the trigger guard and nothing else. The muzzle extends past the end of this. The sight is all open. Um, when it's unlocked, you just need to stand still. <laughs> Don't even try and breathe. Yeah. Further. That's
2: a, that's a NASCAR. That's a racing holster.
0: Absolutely. So I've gone away from that. And now my three gun belt, my classic belt, and my, um, standard belt. all use this setup. So what we have here is a Sierra speed c hanger, which uses the same attachment as a blade tech. And this is actually a Blade Tech Kydex holster. On my three-gun belt, it's a prototype Highlander Tactical. And on my um, standard belt for that Tang Foglio, it's
2: also one of these. Do you, Blade do you tech that, and Highlander that Highlander
1: Tactical, tactical belt. belt handle? handy? Uh, yep.
2: yep. yep. Yeah, I want to see it because, uh, you know what? I am in the market for a holster. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> Strangely enough.
0: Because I'm such a fan of these C hangers, the C hanger is the same hanger that they use on their NASCAR full on race holster. Um, I actually mailed the C hanger to Ryan and asked him to make me a race holster to fit that hanger, and it is for my Arsenal Strike One.
2: His his uh, his holsters are normally Blade Tech style connectors though, right? I can't say for sure. I thought they
0: were more oh. like a G-code or something.
1: Yeah, he so does, yeah, G-code in Freeland. Yeah,
0: normally. That's how the, the gun fits into it. So it's a single-layer Kydex with two tension screws here, rubber grommets, so you can get her down good and tight, open at the muzzle, uh, trigger guard is well covered as you can see. If you had an optic on there, that would not be an issue.
1: Yeah, so yeah. The, uh, a- the Kraken I just ordered from him. Yeah. Um, it's fairly open at the top, and I'm convinced that if and when I go to an optic, I will be able to adjust the holster to suit. Does he do double layer kydex?
0: I don't, don't think so. Like here's um no. here's a red hill tactical. That's a double layer. You can see how thick that is. This is his I believe this is one of his pancakes. It's a yes. kraken. And that's a single yep. layer. Yeah, Odin. this is
2: uh this is a solely Odin. Canadian dual layer. And it's uh it's thick. I kinda like the uh the dual layer because it's very substantial, it does not yeah. flex or move or anything. Yeah, I'm a fan of dual layer as well. This sole
0: this uh red hill tactical would be my choice if Ryan didn't exist. Red Hill Tactical cool. makes nice stuff, that's for the FN. And then this is uh an old LHS. And uh I don't have anything nice to say about them, so I'll put it back in the
1: <laughs> why did you even show us?
2: Like why? Like, what's that for? Why, why, what, yeah. what gun's that for?
0: That's an MP holster. Mm.
2: Do you have an MP? I had an MP. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we should do is like add a section to the show of like who wants to buy some stuff? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we just pull a bunch of stuff as like, what is this thing? I don't yeah. even have an FNS anymore. Oh, does anyone want to buy this? <laughs> Not a bad idea. Yeah, maybe on a future show. <laughs> yeah. So
1: garage hey, yeah. sale. We'll do a we'll do a rummage sale <laughs> I got this XD in forty five. Anyone want it for like a
2: hundred bucks? No. Oh damn it. Oh man. I'll try again next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, for a hundred bucks, I'd take it if it was in nine. <laughs>
2: You got you've got <laughs> conditions on a hundred dollar pistol. Come on,
1: I have standards.
2: I don't have conditions on a hundred dollar pistol. Oh, no, mm. that's fair. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't know what topic we were on there. I think we were talking about the CZ Shadow, and we went on a, a little. Yeah. You thing. asked me what kind of holsters I was running mm. for my wow. yeah. pistols. Yeah. yeah. We All right. A bit. Let's uh, let's keep moving on here. Upcoming events. Uh oh boy, three gun. Hey, I'm not ready for that. I should have since I'm like hosting and I should know what's coming up. Multi uh, Multigun is this weekend on April 28th. The Medicine Hat uh, match will be on the 28th as well. Lethbridge 3Gun will be on the 29th. Uh, getting into May here, PFI Canada will be running the Vancouver Island 3Gun Nation match on the May 5th. Northwest 3Gun will be running May 6th at the Morse Mountie Marksman Association. Say that three times fast. And then finally Chaz uh, three gun will be running on May the 12th and uh, mighty Peace three gun will be running a match on May the 12th and the medicine hat will also be running a match on May the 12th. Uh, do you guys have any event updates that we need to hit on or can we keep going here?
0: Uh, just to want to remind people that um, there's just one spot open for the pistol class uh, for the charity shoot. And so you can, um, send me your name i don't think anyone has if i end up with an extra person because i can't keep track of my own stuff then that'll be my problem not yours also want to remind people that you can um, please send donations for the charity shoot if you're unable to attend to slamfireradio@gmail.com. at gmail.com and a reminder that this year's charity for the eighth annual podcaster network charity shoot is the Dalhousie regional high school breakfast program a program that feeds hungry school children and relies solely on donations from the public so by all means um certainly uh we'd be more than happy to take your money we'd be happier to take it from you in person and see your smile and face but if you can't make the event you can still contribute um i think that's it adriel
2: everything else can wait till next how week. many uh, how many people are you at for the alberta uh course i don't know okay as far right. as I know, there are still spots. I was talking to two guys who might come. Oh, excellent. Yeah.
0: Cool. I, I think. Get them some information. All right. So maybe next week I'll have some concrete numbers on everything. I'll, I'll do my homework.
3: Cool. Uh,
2: yeah. News. Uh, we have a new show sponsor.
0: We do. So. Oh. Um, uh, we announced last week without checking with Ryan that he was going to be our new sponsor, and he <laughs> went for it. That's that's called a, a
2: presumptuous close, and it's a great sales tactic. Sure <laughs> is.
0: So after a few days, Ryan or Brian was like, "So, uh, any news yet from uh, Ryan?" So I sent Ryan a proposal, and uh, he accepted it. So we are proud to announce that. Uh, Highlander Tactical is our newest show sponsor, and he will be sponsoring the listener feedback portion of the show. He has provided the listeners of Slamfire Radio with a 10% off promo code, and that promo code is ALL CAPS SLAMFIRE. I don't know if it's live yet, guys. I apologize. I just know that he's a sponsor. I know we have a code. I know the code is SLAMFIRE, and I know it'll get you 10% off on your next Holster purchase or anything you purchase over there at HighlanderTactical.com. So go on over and check it out. And um, if it's not live, hopefully, hopefully it will be live soon. So um, stay tuned for more details on that. And then, of course, you know, we will be running uh, his holsters uh, on on our belts from now on.
2: So, how awesome is that? So, I guess my choice is made for my holster. It kind of is, yes.
1: Uh, well. <laughs> Where I are you? will be running that, that yeah. holster? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should. Yeah, probably be best if you use a sponsored holster. That would be good. Yeah. 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 So if I get 10% off,
2: I mean, I guess the choice is made for me. All yeah. right. Uh, I think you probably
0: get a little bit better than 10% off. The listeners will get the 10% off. I just got to sweet
2: talk them and like send 11. some naughty photos of myself, and I'll get more. Unsolicited pics
0: are never good.
1: <laughs> no. Never oh, really?
0: Yes, and when you send that picture out there, it's out there forever. You don't know who is showing their phone to people at gun shows going,
2: that's Adriel. We call yeah, but Adriel. how do you really know?
0: Well, maybe you were dumb enough to put your face in it. Hmm. Huh? That's a, that's an odd angle,
1: but good. Oh I need some oh. mental bleach. <laughs> My mind die. Oh
2: so nasty. Oh all right. Let's get into new gun stuff. Uh have, have either you guys take a take a peek at this first one? No. no? That would that would mean that I prepared for the show. Uh, well, okay. Go. So if you listen to practical pistol podcast, uh uh, a while, through two, three ago, uh, he was interviewing uh, Maria, who's an uh, Ip- an IPSC shooter of uh, complete dominance on the ladies' circuit. Um, she's uh, she's completely dominant over there. Anyways, uh, there's a CZ Shadow 2 that's like a special edition, her edition kind of a thing that uh, Bullseye London has. It's got like some case-hardened stuff on it. It's very highly polished, and it's got a couple of other things on there. It is a little bit pricier than a regular Shadow 2. They'll be retailing at $24.50. Yeah,
0: $24.50 for the absolute tricked-out, peaked, high-end Shadow 2. And let's just head on over to see what a 10 Foglio...
2: Or a 2011. Check yeah. out what a 2011 costs. And all of a sudden, it's like twenty four fifty, and it looks really cool. Mm, I don't know. That's not so bad. <laughs>
0: exactly. A 2011...
2: Is oh I don't know thirty eight hundred bucks. Yeah, you're looking at like four grand plus. The the STI DVC uh three gun grand. model is like four thousand five hundred.
0: It's four plus. So right now I'm looking at an Australian length stock to extreme two thousand seven hundred forty six dollars and
2: ninety-nine cents. Yep. Yep. So maybe it's not that highly priced. And it looks really neat. It
0: looks amazing. And it's, and it's only (laughs) $2,400. Only 2,400.
2: All right. That's kind of cool. Uh, I I don't know if I missed this or not. One stalls. about stalls brought in some Serbu RN fifties. These are the Serbu 50 BMG that you kind of screw on the, the cap at the back. Uh, $1,500, $1,500 $1,500, $1,500 for a non-restricted 50 BMG. I want one. I might buy one.
0: $1,500 for a 50 BMG. Yes. And it's not like the That's- Dominion Arms she- ones that that shreds your arms and turns you into a hamburger.
2: Well, uh, the other thing you have to do with that is you have to put a non-restricted lower on the, the Canada Ammo one because the Canada Ammo one fits on an Air 15 whereas this one right. comes with its own thing. This is horrible, horrible looking. So it's cheap. I would say cheap and cheerful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you want a good looking 50 BMG, you're going to pay like three grand. Is that what that Steyr one costs? Oh, the HS50? Yeah. It's way up there.
0: Huh? Fired the snot out of that a few times didn't realize it was an expensive gun. Oh, yeah. Anyway, this thing is horrible. Uh, it looks like it was, it looks like it caught fire and someone put it
2: out with a chain. It's cheap and cheerful. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of really cheap 50 BMGs in like the 90s and 2000s. And then we got away from them. That's that Styre HS50 is $4,200 and there's none in the country.
0: <laughs> one of the guys in my club bought one at the local Canadian tire. <laughs>
2: Canadian Tire sells fifty BMG rifles.
0: Canadian Tire deals with Nor Silva. Nor Silva is the distributor.
2: Huh? Oh, uh, Steyr has uh, a, a repeating one, and that's uh, a bolt action with a magazine that goes out the side. That one's seven thousand three hundred dollars.
1: Uh, okay, now hold on a minute. This this Serbu thing, it, yeah. it's it's got a screw on a breech cap. So you unscrew the breech cap, you put the cartridge in, you break it open first.
2: It break opens at the middle and then you unscrew the thing. You pull it off. You put a round in there. You screw the thing back on, put it up, cock the hammer and fire cheap and cheerful.
1: (laughs) Okay. It's (laughs) cheap. I don't know if man,
0: Brian, you're with me. There's a lack of cheer, isn't there?
1: Uh, Yeah. There's, there's lines. Like I, I have, I am not the aesthetic snob that Trevor is. However, this looks a lot like a grease gun and it just operates much like a grease gun. Yeah. And no, no, I'm not spending $1,500 on a grease gun.
2: No, not for uh, me. Well, yeah. you could spend, let's see, I'm looking at another HS50 here. And this one is uh, nine thousand oh Oh, well, this is another semi. It's 9,300.
0: Can we get that? I thought some of the semi fifties were, were
2: banned. Uh, specifically the Barrett Barrett. Yeah.
1: Because um, it's, it's in a magazine somewhere. somewhere.
2: No, yeah, exactly. we, we've got that uh, that GM links the GM-6 links yes. that Tactical do do? Imports brings in. But those are like fifteen grand at least. Okay. Hmm. I've Yeah, 50 on. BMG rifles are expensive. They're not cheap. So the fact they're bringing them into Canada for $1,500 Canadian is very low. Worries me. It may I'm be
0: not... a Dominion Arms bomb waiting to go off.
2: Yeah, I do not uh... want to be... No, there's less of a worry with this one. There's no like, there's no bolt out of battery. You break the thing open, you put a round in there, you screw the cap on. I mean, you you could fire it without the screw all the way on, maybe.
1: But you find out that it, it actually is made out of the body of an aluminum grease gun, and it blows apart. <laughs> there's that's, that's possible that, too. That's,
2: that's possible, but anyway. like Ser- Serbu is not a small company.
1: Yeah, no, no. I, I'm just honestly, I, I don't have much interest in a fifty myself. Just it's just not my kind yep. of deal. If I really wanted to shoot fifty, and I was, you know, tight on money, sure, this will this would get you in the fifty game. Why not?
0: I would skip right past fifty and go for three thirty eight, but that's me. Three thirty eight. What? 338's what? on the way to fifty. It's yeah. not past fifty. I would skip sideways then. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: like it's a better cartridge for long range precision.
1: Oh, absolutely. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's no, not no. a 50. No, no. The 50 BMG oh, is God. great it, in a machine gun, that's what it was meant for. And then it's been employed as a precision long range cartridge in the meantime. So mm-hmm. I think the first use was actually a 50 BMG with uh, Carlos Hathcock had a, a scope welded on.
2: Put, welded one on to an M2 or something. Silly. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Because cool. they didn't have 338 Lapua at the time. So... <sighs> because <laughs> he, there was no. And missed. he still he wanted to
2: shoot stuff very far away. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah.
2: That's that's exactly right. right.
1: So... Awesome. Anyway. Okay. I won't be getting in line for this particular product.
2: You can't. They're
1: already sold out. Now well, they're, they're selling out the God's next name.
2: one
3: Did that's We just go
0: in. on about it for okay. 15 th- friggin' minutes.
1: This was... Mediocre podcasting. This
0: <laughs> we don't <laughs> all
2: have to strive for mediocrity. We need some right. furlough achievement. Furlough achieving. Do you want to talk about this real glittery engraved uh, CZ?
1: Um, okay, I'm I'm calling it up here. Oh my! Oh my! Oh, speaking of eye bleach. Okay, so this is from North Silva CZ seventy five SP one engraved for a bargain price of seven thousand five hundred dollars
2: yeah the amount of like hand engraving this thing is uh high
1: oh yeah no for sure like there's there is a lot of effort into this what i'm not sure why but scrimshaw. A lot of that's
0: what this is called this is called scrimshaw it's, it's very popular in south america they scrimshaw horrible guns that's gold inlay kids by the way yeah. um
1: Now, is
2: presenting it to everyone here.
1: Yeah, there you go. Is this more ostentatious than the um, Beretta PX4 Storm that is also all blinged out with gold inlay? And
2: it is uh, because PX4 Storm is a is a garbage gun to inlay scroll work and
1: whatever. That's what I'm
0: saying.
2: They, They they so
0: Ian from Forgotten Weapons does a real good video series on scrimshaw and the South Americans that do it and. Man, they take some garbage guns and make them look, well, like a garbage gun with scrimshaw on it. But they really put a lot of effort into $38 guns. Like, it's crazy.
2: This looks like a lot of effort.
0: This is a lot of effort. How much do they want for this thing? $7,500. Yeesh.
1: A little pricey. A little pricey. A little pricey. But, you know, three-gun legal. <laughs> <Good deal>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this would
0: not be production legal for IPSC. No? Nope. Why not? Um, Because you're not allowed to change the finish on a production gun. They uh, would have to pump out uh, so many of these fair to qualified to be on So that's, you'd that's be in standard gun.
1: minor. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, you'd be in standard minor in style. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man.
1: <laughs> I think you would have to have a, at least a fedora with a, like a feather.
2: Mine <laughs> <laughs> velour jacket. All right. Let's keep going yeah. here. Yeah, Lee thing. Yeah. Uh, Well, you guys, have you guys seen the Lee Progressive Press? Nope. They come out with a new model. Uh, Lee Breach Progressive. Let me just take a real quick peek here. The Auto Breach Lock.
0: If I still uh, hung out with the guys on the reloading podcast, instead of being a pansy and too tired to record every Tuesday night, I'd know. Here we go.
2: So here's the uh, here's the auto breach lock. It's uh, it's using a couple of interesting things. So it's kind of using like their kind of like their classic cast turret, but it's a progressive. It's very cheap at one hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, this one works with their case feeder uh, nicely. It'll do their um, either the the manual pr- um, powder thing on the top or the slider one that's a little bit more automatic. Um, I don't like their priming system with this thing. It uses their uh, I don't like any lead priming system no lead priming systems just aren't good it uses that clicker thing that they've got where you like click in the primers one by one yeah. which in my opinion is you know not fantastic on a on a progressive it's going to slow you down quite a bit yeah there's the safety prime that you add in but technically you could add their case feeder which does work and their bullet feeder which i haven't tried yet um and then the crappy primer system that you know takes a bunch of time and isn't automatic whatsoever
0: i um I'm typically not too impressed with bullet feeders, but John Schneiderbanger from the X-Metal squad was um, posted a video earlier of his Dylan 650 with a bullet feeder. And he's got his thing adjusted perfectly. Mm -hmm. All he does is crank the handle, crank the handle and he gets a bullet. You know, normally you crank the handle, you seat the bullet, crank the handle, you seat the bullet, step up from the 550 where you seat a brass You seat a bullet, you crank the handle, you manually rotate the shell plate, seat a brass, seat a bullet, crank the handle. Um, This is slick. This might be something I look into.
1: I've I've never felt slowed down by having to seat a bullet. It just doesn't bother me.
0: Honestly, Brian, me either. But, you know, with all the Mark 7 stuff that's on the market now and converting 1050s and guys cranking out 2,400 rounds an hour on their Mark 7s, I'm like, hmm... So you're right. I've never felt slowed down. And the more you add to the press, the the more you lose a feel for it. And you definitely have to check your ammo to make sure your primers are all seated correctly, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, but yeah,
1: yeah. That's, um, yeah that, the primer, the, the bullet feeder doesn't affect your priming. That's no. we will say it doesn't, it does not cause a problem for priming.
0: No, so. it doesn't. But if you, if you go to a Mark seven, you definitely need to, uh, to look into that. But anyway, now,
1: yeah. Getting back to the Lee progressive, uh, press um if if listeners don't listen uh, listen to the paracast with uh our our friend tommy uh listen to him and his recent match experience with his um ammo loaded on a lee progressive press it's not a cheap way to load ammo Mm -hmm. if you end up with a you know a magazine like a bullet box full of squibs it's not cool
0: he's been struggling with that press since the gun dudes
2: was it a Loadmaster or a Pro One Thousand? Who cares? It's the a Pro One Thousand is tr- is total trash.
0: No, it's the step up one from that. Okay,
2: that's uh, the wow. RangeMaster Loadmaster Loadmaster. Yeah.
1: yeah, Tommy really needs to save Get some money deal. and buy himself something nice. He deserves it. He's yeah, that much he deserves. So, cool. all right, why don't we head on
2: to the main topic? And welcome to Slamfire Radio, Othias from C and Arsenal. Welcome to the show, Othias.
3: Howdy.
2: So uh, tell, if maybe for some of our listeners who uh, who aren't on YouTube very often or just haven't seen, uh, you know what they have seen your stuff, they just don't know that it's your stuff. Uh, tell <laughs> us a little bit about uh, C and Arsenal.
3: Uh, so C and Arsenal started. Oh Lord, it's probably been six, seven years ago that I really started doing sort of article writing and photography, and at that time. I started partnering. I'm kind of a talker. So I started working with local museums and stuff, borrowing from collectors and that sort of thing. Um, And sort of stage one was sort of getting into this assembly line style where I would do photographs and do the research and build up books. After a while, I realized that I was reaching sort of the top of being able to communicate with people that way. Um, And so I moved over to video. And from there, we actually, right as we were planning to go over to video, we got a message from what is a YouTube series known as the great war. And they were looking for uh, licensing images for use because we were doing such good firearms photography from the era. Um, yeah. You and you I guys said, have actually, those
2: uh, those ones with the pure white background that are like uh, yes, uh, parts to, exploded parts. Are you, yeah, it's that?
3: weird, but it's, it's, we're sort of identified for the style, but realistically our, our style is just textbook, you know, um, art house kind of white background, very clean, neutral appearance, uh, very minimalist design. So, All
0: uh, right, are you the one that filthy steals all the posters from?
3: Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Uh, I noticed that there's some, uh, some <laughs> Work is hanging on my wall. I got an email that said, do I want to be on this podcast? So like, imagine my surprise when I do some Google foo and the first video I click on, I just click midway through it just to see. And somebody sitting in an all wood paneled room with uh, one of my posters that very clearly has some text that was not available on one of my prints. So, huh?
0: That must have been the one that said Trevor's part list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when I was building a grand. So the guy who hooked me up with the grand receiver also hooked me up with a fancy poster that I could just check the parts off as I went. <laughs>
1: I may also have some pirated artwork on the wall. <laughs> okay,
3: well, just let me know where to send the cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> to the empire.
1: Wait, wait, I have to cease having it on my wall? No,
3: I, no. I to, no. I don't care. Individual stuff has never bothered me. There's a poor, some poor sucker on Reddit that, like, his girlfriend had apparently downloaded and printed one of my posters. And so he went on uh, Reddit and was just like, yeah, look what my girlfriend got me. It's this beautiful poster. And everybody's like, oh, sweet. She ordered one of Matthias' posters. And he's going, who, what? And they're like, did did she buy it from him? And I was like, I can't remember what it was, but I was like, oh, this hasn't gone to print yet. So this is very clearly something that somebody just downloaded. And so all hell broke loose. And I said, like, guys, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> now, the Damn resellers, I've, I've had to chase about four people off at of eBay and stuff like that, though, because they'll just walk with them and start reprinting them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't oh, make a that's... business out of stealing my stuff. Like, if no, you no, just want to print something off, I'm not yeah. going to be mad. But
1: yeah, that's dirty. come on, man yeah for sure and i'm not paying but, for anything from filthy so no i got all no. my stuff for free so, <laughs> <laughs> so even not the
0: stuff, like even the stuff filthy doesn't steal isn't worth paying for <laughs>
1: in,
3: fairness, in fairness the stuff that i put out there i think max resolution is like i mean i do i do pretty heavy resolution but it's like 1500 2000 pixels or something like that if you order from our print shop uh you can get like a 24 by 36 and then like the pixel resolution on a single rifle is something like i think it's like 8000 pixels wide that's being put in that. So the resolution is fantastic. And then we actually have our printer uh, is not out of China or anything like that. It's no sort of big deal. It's actually a single man who runs his own business in Texas and is a second amendment kind of guy. So when you buy a print from our little shop, uh, you support the show and then the margin that we pay to him to get it produced, he just turns around and buys ammo with it anyway. So (laughs) you're really just feeding back into the hobby. If you do anything from our shop. So it's it's in your own best interest.
1: So and so to be clear, the stuff that we've gotten from Filthy is like not even second rate crap. It's just no, awful.
3: Oh, okay, don't worry. The sunlight will kill it eventually. This guy, archival <laughs> prints, like this okay. this is the guy you want. This guy.
1: So Filthy, but, you need to step up your game. You need to yeah. order some stuff to give to me.
0: Feel better, stuff, Phil.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or pay the man, Phil. Come on, pay the man. Or
0: yeah, or right. send him some posters as a thank you, like you do everyone else. <laughs>
3: oh my god no but i I constantly have like authors and things like that and these are guys that i occasionally know and i'm always like uh did you want to ask me to borrow that (laughs) so no it's just the it's the nature of it it's actually kind of why i moved to video because i would have spent more time chasing my own copyright than just producing content that would flock people towards what we were doing so it's better just put on a good show um if something's you know if it's egregious obviously just go knock it out but i intend not to go chasing it down as hard as all that so you're mentioning
2: that uh you, you started getting to the video so uh, oh yeah, tell I'm us, tell us about that. yeah yeah
3: so great war one license images i said that we were about to do video anyway so we actually made an agreement with them to go into world war one which is the dumbest thing i've ever done in my life because i basically <laughs> promised to go through world war one gun by gun and at the time i was much more i had much more background in world war ii and so I'm thinking, okay, world war one, I, I know what the basis of all these are. This will probably be like maybe a hundred firearms. It's a lot more than that. Number one. Um, and then number two, as we started producing the show, I think it was like a hat, 20 minute to half hour format at first people wanted more and more and more detail. And the more detail we put in, the more viewers we got. So now we're averaging easily, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half on most videos. And we're dropping those docu- like we're dropping them full documentary style every other week. So I don't know that this has ever been done. And somebody pointed out to me that Tales of the Gun had 40 episodes at maybe 45 minutes each. And now we're at 75 episodes, and we quite regularly beat an hour on them now. So we're sort of surpassing where tales of the gun was at which is just wild to think about just from a little youtube production
2: yeah that was with uh the great war is is Nydell? is that the guy yes indy oh
3: man oh so yeah. good yeah yeah so that's uh for those who don't know that was a that's an ambitious project that's actually going to be wrapping up this year where they were doing world war one week by week and they would retell the story of what happened in world war one 100 years beforehand And so that was a beautiful format. So we came in as weapons experts. And so I'll go in with a big pile of stuff from a country and sort of talk about their weapons and how they were used. And then I'll just get out of their hair. But um, that cross promotion gave us a chance to sort of get an instant audience, which was actually really important because this is an extremely expensive and complicated show to produce. But um, we've been doing all right. We have a big patron community. Um, We just hit 100,000 subscribers. Uh, I think our average viewer will, if we put out just the – the worst, most unpopular gun will still get about 24,000 views. So sweet, um, it's, it's solid. Like it's not a, we don't have a lot of up and down. It's, it's a very consistent audience.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, like when I review a gun, I'll I'll usually shoot a video for about an hour and then edit for about a half an hour and then, uh, and then post it out. Is it, is, is your experience about the same?
3: Yeah. Uh, just exactly <laughs> that. No, um, we have a small, but growing team. Um, we actually have our own animator full time now. That was a big, thing for us once we hit those Patreon goals, that's the first thing I did because the animation was actually killing me. Um, If you watch the old series, there's 2D animations that I was cranking out. I think it's like 20 hours a pop for those that was on top of everything else I was doing. But nowadays, it's kind of hard to track down the hours per show because there's a lot of overhead because we're working from a fixed diminishing list. So as we get to the end of this, I have to find rarer and weirder guns. Like I think we did the Pedersen, you know, device, which was a secret gun. There's maybe five in existence and we managed to get a hold of one and actually run it out to the range and test it and work with it. Um, the overhead on that episode was insane because we had to go to like Louisiana and back and then we had to repair it and all sorts of things. So, um, your average episode can take anywhere from like, 200 man hours to like 600 man hours, depending uh, the Mosin episode, especially we we're talking about this before we got on here, but the translation effort on it just kind of went off the rails, even with two native Russian speakers. And it just, it bogged down. And I think I probably had like 150 hours just in the translation and sort of interpretation of the information for the Mosin. So it's odd because everybody has a Mosin, but you don't think about the fact that there really is not a lot in English language that goes into where it came from and why, I mean, People know it showed up in 1891 and the Russians made it, but they don't understand why. Like I think coming through that episode, one of the things that stuck out is a lot of people sort of rent I never realized that they have vertical locking lugs and almost nothing else does. Like it's you're so used to seeing them. But almost every other bolt action for that era has horizontal locking lugs for a reason. Yeah. Because it keeps you from locking up on the ammo. But the Mosin's like, no, 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 we want vertical lugs. Well, how are we gonna get around? We have to add this rail. Okay, well, now that we have the rail, what are we going to do with it? And so it's like it's this weird design decision. And luckily, this man out of Russia now has, uh, uh, Chumak, has put together a book that is like he's gone through every arsenal document and he found out why they did everything. It's a little insane, but there was a reason. And we just had to get it all into one format so people knew why the gun is the way it is.
2: Yeah, you guys have some, like, for, for people who haven't seen your, your videos, your videos are extremely in-depth. <laughs> you guys dive in on on our particular firearm or series of firearms. And, uh, yeah, that Mosin one was really interesting. You guys talked about a short one on there, a carbine, that I don't think I've seen before. I can't remember the name of it, though.
3: Yeah, that's uh, the 1907. Um, it's probably, if anybody's watching the video now, it's in that back corner. There's a one to us by a big collector named John Clear, wonderful friend and potential body double for myself. <laughs> but um yeah it's uh those things are hen's teeth and i was very glad to borrow one and put it out on the range um so it's just one of those things that was present for the war and then for whatever reason suffered major attrition afterwards um i still haven't found out why i mean there's 300 something thousand made and then they've just sort of vanished I, I can't imagine what program they got sucked into that really wiped them out or what country they were given to his aid but Every once in a while you find weird little things. It's like people want me to do the fedorov Optimat, you know, the Russian, you know, automatic, you know, 6.5 super rifle from World War I. Very few made and then almost all of them vanished after the war. And mm-hmm. um, someone sent me a video that they found where it was a Russian documentary in the 1930s. And it was talking about some native, um, their version of Inuit culture. And there's hunting seals or whatever. And one of the guys is sitting there just plugging away with a Fedorov Optimat is what he's got on his shoulder. And so I'm going, well, there's where one of them went, off into the Arctic. <laughs> so he's just, he just amazed at where this stuff ends up going. I mean, sometimes it's just like, well, it stopped working, so we gave it to, you know, indigenous whatever. It tends to be the case with the French automatic rifles, the RSCs. They were given away, they just broke the gas system and turned them into terrible straight pull rifles and gave them to indigenous peoples, and that's why they're so hard to find. Because once it broke down, they just handed it away.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you could make parts for it, but why when you have the next generation or the next great thing, right? Just
3: Uh, Or no, actually the weird thing is a lot of times they went back to garbage. They would just be like, the semi-automatic rifle is just too expensive. We have millions of these bolt actions. And ultimately we just threw millions of men at the problem. So why bother having one guy fire a whole bunch of rounds if it's going to cost us more money? Like at some level in this, this sort of this, war like like world war one and on into the interwar period there's almost this like devaluing of the human life and then by the time the human life becomes valuable it's like well we already have all this crap laying around we're going to make more of it we'll just use what we got you know so mm-hmm. world war Two is going to be interesting because it's like they finally get off their butts and start inventing new guns after they've sort of ignored it for two decades so
2: well, and then with the russians going back to the to the mosin afterwards that was uh <laughs> that's really interesting i mean if you if you if you've owned a mosin or uh, an svt 40 and you've taken it apart you can kind of you can kind of like sympathize with them a little bit trying to do that out in the snow and the cold trying to to clean all the corrosive salts off that thing afterwards right
3: i mean it's sometimes idiot proof is what counts in the the biggest hurdle for every gun design, it's like automatic pistols when they came out. It's the revolver was at the end of its life, like the the end of its development curve, the swing-out cylinder, double action, smooth pull, ultimate reliability of it. Like on into the 80s, people say the revolver is more reliable than the semi-automatic pistol. It's just it's just said that way. And part of it is ammunition reliability. And then part of it is also the revolver had made it through, you know, a hundred years of development. And was sort of settled, and then the pistol is like ten years old, and it's up against the revolver. And then you get into World War One, and semi-automatic pistols are, I mean, the good ones are maybe like twenty years old, and we're talking Borchardt-style C93, C96s have only been around for twenty years. Mm-hmm. It's not enough time to get through all the problems, and also to let the patents expire, and start using the best ideas. And so that's the argument that you run into all the time. Semi-automatic rifles don't really start kicking until the 30s, like not really. And then as they're developing them in the 30s, they run into patent problems. They run into the fact that it's a new technology, an emergent technology. It's not tested. And so you just get in these cycles where you're like, well, obviously, semi-automatic gar- rifles are garbage. And it's like, no, you're competing against a 70-year-old product. Like it's development yeah. cycle.
2: Yeah. And they got to try a couple of different design philosophies and uh, operating actions before they find the one that's like the one to go with or the two yeah. to go with.
3: Well, it's it's interesting. Firearms development is intelligent design meets natural selection. It's you, you try to design it intelligently and then something kicks off and if it works, it great. And if it doesn't, uh-oh, and then the better designs sort of come out of the ashes. And so it's just a combination of two types of evolution.
2: Yeah, hopefully. And then throw some government processes, government bidding processes on top.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, government bidding is why you have something like the government decisions are why something like a Mosin manages to stay in service for 100 years, despite the fact that it wasn't good compared to its contemporaries the day it came out. So Mm -hmm. uh, there's always the oddball sort of there's also I should say it, it would be comparable in the sort of natural world to sexual selection. Which is that you can have natural selection, which is survivability, but you can also just have the appeal for pro- like something about this is more appealing, and we just bred it like crazy for no discernible reason. So kind of
2: like the uh, the L eighty five, the uh, English English rifle. There, <laughs> we, we had Ian on to uh, to talk about that one, and, and
3: <laughs> that was interesting as well. <laughs> <sighs> there's always something like there's always personality. You can never remove the human element from history. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, we've ta- so we've talked about some of the mill that uh, maybe shouldn't have been around. But uh, what's your favorite mill or, or the one that you think was uh, maybe ahead of its time?
3: Um, yeah, there's a number of guns like that. One of the one of the worst guns of World War One was actually very smart in design. Um, the Ross rifle used an interrupted screw style bolt head. Uh, used a nice smooth straight pull action. As we know, that's going to be important when you get into gas operated systems because you need to be able to rotate that. Like you need to be able to cam a bolt over with the linear push rod. Um, and so there's a lot of really good designs in a Ross rifle. And it also was supposed to be, you know, a flat shooting high powered cartridge. It's just that it got converted over 303. Um, the problem is common sense stuff, like how to set up the chamber to be sort of workable with loose ammo tolerances and things like not. Is, this is bizarre. This will blow your mind from our Mosin episode. The thing, the Achilles heel of the Ross rifle, the thing that really drove it apart was the fact that the bolt stop halted on the rear of the left locking lug and would damage the locking lug. So it's a straight collection. It sticks because the ammo is out of spec. You kick it open. When you kick it open, you deform the bolt. You push the bolt back forward. Now it's even worse. And the more you kick it open, the worse you make it. The Russians with the terrible Mosin, one of their things was you absolutely cannot use the locking lugs to stop the bolt because it'll deform the locking lugs. So in 1891, the Russians knew what the Canadians had not discovered in like 1910. It's just weird little handoffs like that, that you sort of go, oh, geez." I mean, just you get killed by these little lessons that were learned and not shared. Um, so which is mm-hmm. another reason why I like going into the history. But I wouldn't say the Ross is my favorite. It's just one of those things that you see this sort of like vision of the future. And then it, it crashes and burns on some very simple problems. And then you also see some much older guns like the Lee Enfield that outperform the Ross rifle, much older design. It's Remington Lee rear locking, you know, and it has all sorts of problems with keeping in headspace and stretching uh, the, you know, barrel mounted sights and all that other stuff. But it outperforms the Ross because the simple truths are there. It can handle the, it can accommodate the loose ammo tolerances and it just works. It's not perfect, but it works. So, I think the one thing that I've learned from World War One is that utility beats vision over and over and over again. Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. Like like between the the uh, Lee Enfield and the Ross, I mean, you'd think the Ross would be faster to run, and it is. If you if you've got a nice smooth one, uh, I've got uh, um, one that's a little bit uh, like older and kind of cruddy, and it's not <laughs> it's not as fast as the. Lee. I'd, I'd rather run the, the Lee than the Ross if I had to shoot like shoot like a, a, a action shooting match or something like that.
3: Yeah it's, it's how it's weird where execution and theory just don't always match up. And some of it's just, I mean, even little stuff like the bolt handle where it deposits your hand, like the Ross does not put it by the trigger. The Lee does. So there's just little things that sort of get brought into focus that you would not think of on the designing board. But I don't know in terms of stuff that works. I think any of the Mauser designs, like the derivative Mausers tend to work very well. So like Springfield, 1903, Gewehr 98, a lot of the, uh, Honestly, some of my favorite guns of World War One are the export Mausers that you don't talk about a lot. So like Mauser 1912s that were seized by Austria-Hungary and things like that. They have flat tangent sights, full hand guards, and a Mauser 98 action. But a, it's a very easy, robust system to go with. Um, personally, I think if I had to actually lay up and do some fighting with a bolt action, I'd probably pick something more along the lines of a 1917 where I've got a rear aperture sight, very clear sight picture, very you know semi-pistol grip stock you know, that sort of thing would probably be the ergonomics that I want, but realistically anything in those strong families will do really well.
1: And something without a rimmed cartridge.
3: Uh, yes. I, I'm not a fan of rim cartridges. The more we get in the series. And I know everybody says that this, the action or that action has gotten around rim lock or rim jam. And it still is a consistent problem until you see guns that are built specifically for it. So like a oh, Lee Anfield Mark three, does a pretty good job. Like I have not seen rim lock on a Mark three. Um, and as part of our series, we actually did some work with like a Mark one and an old uh, charger loading conversion and things like that. And some of them had uh, most Mark threes have what's called a Mark five magazine. Uh, it's been improved. All the angles are set just right to get that thing to feed the rimmed ammo. And then you have a rear chamfer on the ammo that helps with things and they feed very well if you have like a Mark four or a Mark three or a Mark two magazine, it doesn't go as well. And I think a lot of people are used to the fact that even when they get the older rifles, they've had the magazine upgrade. So our current perspective is the Lee Enfield feeds rim ammo just fine. It's like, yeah, after 1909, it did like 1909, 1910. But before that, eh, it's kind of like what, And people go, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's always fine. And I go, well, then why did they go through four previous versions of the magazine? They just changed it for no reason. They were just bored. They wanted to waste government money. Like there's a reason that they make these adjustments.
2: Yeah, to handle the design flaw. From the other design thing that they did and then to <laughs> have, that was to handle another. Thing. <laughs> I,
3: I i appreciate how much people love the lee i know you guys up in canada have a long history with it it is a very much ad hoc rifle and people don't like to think of it that way but if you watch we have an episode that goes through we have two episodes that go through their development and if you watch they just they start with the remington lee and they start tacking stuff on and they don't stop until like nineteen. I mean, realistically, during the war, they were still modifying the gun. Not, not you know, you're down to whether or not it has windage knobs, but like, they're still making changes. And if you stop and take a break and you know turn off your love of the Lee Enfield for one moment and look at it, it looks like a much older rifle with a bunch of stuff stuck on it. You have all these protectors and weird sights, and then a clip bridge that's sort of welded over the top. Like, yeah. it's all stuff that if you stop and look. It wasn't there to begin with. It's all been added one by one. Like they've just been tacking things on. And so you see them try to consolidate all that when they get to the number four rifle. Like the number four rifle is the ultimate expression of everything they tried to fix with the number th- you know, the number one slash Mark III, whatever you want to call it. So it would have been a Mark III back in the day and then they later converted it over to number one Mark III. But uh, yeah, the number four, beautiful rifle because they just went back and they solved all their little issues that have been nagging them for several decades.
0: Osias, um can I ask you a World War II uh, rifle question? Probably. Uh, I'm always um, wondering why the uh, SVT-40 didn't catch on and wasn't more popular and didn't like completely uh, replace um, Mosin's. Was it just bad timing, finances? Was it a, a problem with the design? I mean, when I pick one up, I actually think it's a better design than the Grant. I mean, it's magazine-fed, it doesn't have that crazy op-rod. I mean, it seems like a good design, but built by communists.
3: No, the uh, SVT-40 is a strong action. Um, It's also sort of a shelf-locker, I guess I would call it, and that's a beautiful system. You see that in a lot of other guns. Uh, I would agree that I think, actually, I was just having a conversation, I think the SVT-40 is probably superior to the Garand in a lot of ways, but... um, as far as why they didn't catch on with the Soviets, it's mostly just because they, they were trying to meet production goals. They were just they knew how to crank out the Mosin, and so they cranked out the Mosin. Like They didn't want to pulp that. They still, to my knowledge, tried to crank out the SVT, but I just don't think – when you have more men than you have arms, you just struggle to get whatever arms you can. I mean, they had the same problem in World War I. Um, there were all these ideas around the fedorov Optimat, but there was no way they are going to expend that much money to make a single rifle um and so there's just too much resource demand coming from a new rifle i mean if you imagine let's say the svt was as easy to make as the mosin let's say it used the same number of parts and the same machining operations let's say it was all the same or even better maybe it was easier to make than the mosin in theory the problem is putting into practice like you can tool up one assembly line But then when you go to tool up a second, or let's say, God forbid, you halt a Mosin assembly line in order to put one up, the number of Mosins you make a day is in the thousands. You're going to give up thousands of rifles for several days to then tool up to make hundreds of this gun. And then hopefully thousands later, you've just materially lost so many rifles of opportunity. I believe that that is probably the problem you're going to see with a lot of those technologies that emerge in a war zone. So like if it had been just available and sitting around, in the 20s, and then it saw full production by 1929, 1930, then you would see it completely replace another gun. But realistically, tool up is way more expensive than you would think. Um, and by example, of that you can see how, like in our most recent episode, we talked about Remington trying to produce the Mosin and how just because of inspectors and things like that, it bogged down to the point that they only produced like 500,000 of them in the same time that Westinghouse managed a million. And so, opportunity cost of 500,000 on Remington's part. It's not something that you want to give up to roll out a new technology. But in deference to the SVT-40, to my knowledge, the SVT was the inspiration for the Germans to fix their own automatic weapons. So like the the failure that was the Gewehr 41s, uh, you get the Gewehr 43 after they sort of take a look at the SVT and sort of finally realized that they could take some technology from the Russians and sort of, you know, swallow their pride and go, okay, this works a lot better. We should definitely adopt features of this into our own rifle program. Um so there is that. And then you also see a lot of technologies that use that sort of shelf locking system and a lot of those sort of gas piston systems going out, whether they're based on it or not. It's hard to say. They usually have lineages that come from somewhere else. But at least the SVT shows yes, you can take it into battle. And yes, this is a, you know, war usable rifle. So Yeah, I mean a lot of
2: the uh, SVT 40 had a lot of really cool stuff in it done at scale uh that uh piston that they've got on there is very similar to what we see on like an ar 180b even today yep. um that uh that bolt locking system that tilting bolt that you see on there is used on the sks i mean they uh they took a lot of that technology it's just it's so complicated like there's so many little things on those svts that those poor guys would have had to manufacture uh you know Everything from like the magazine release, its its it's got a little toggle. It can either go down and, and, and it's yep. a magazine release, or you can like flip it up and it locks up now and it stays out of the way. It's like, it's so thoughtful, <laughs> but it probably took someone like time to make that dang thing.
3: Yeah. I mean, again, though, you look at like World War One semi autos, like I'm so used to seeing now, and the SVT looks downright simple. Um, it's just economies of scale are so interesting when it comes to wartime. Like, it, it's really wild how much you give up if you. Even take away two or three subject matter, like if you take two or three engineers away from the assembly line, just to help with another assembly line, you lose a lot of throughput. So it is crazy how many technologies were sort of like pushed under due to war, and then after the war, the surplus means that those technologies still remain dormant, and it just takes decades for them to finally come to light. Very cool.
2: Um, d- d- uh, sorry, I'm I'm I think I'm bogarting your
1: time here, Brian. No, you're or, fine. Did you guys, fine. Did you guys have any time or any questions for him? No, you guys are having a very interesting conversation that I'm enjoying listening to. So, all good. yeah,
3: is there? I mean, I have the available time. Is there anything more personal? Because I feel like I'm beating you guys over the head with history. And like, oh I've no, it's of, awesome! I've, I've got a hundred hours of stuff on my channel that you guys can get bored by. You know, on your own. Time. <laughs> but
0: turning you loose was part of the plan.
3: Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. I'm unless you guys have anything that's more curious about back end or anything like that.
2: No, I think uh, I think this has been really interesting. How do uh, how do people find you and uh, you know uh, take some time to, to plug your stuff?
3: Uh, realistically they don't because we chose the worst name for anything ever. No one can spell <laughs> it. You can't really say it out loud and have anybody pick up on it. Um, so just don't bother. Well you don't want to watch it. <laughs> it's actually interesting. We have the the most indecipherable logo and name, but it's C and Arsenal so Kiro and Relic Sunal. <laughs> which never, nope. And basically, yeah, I, uh, I've never found an easy way to communicate it verbally. Like audio only is the death of trying to find us, which is fine. Because all you really need to do is go by YouTube and start looking around for some World War I guns. So look around for videos about the t or about the Lewis gun. And when you see the logo with the nice crisp white background, that's us. That's the easiest way. So get curious about World War One. Look for the white background. You'll find us.
2: Awesome. And we'll definitely make sure to uh, include a link to your, uh, to your show in our show notes here as well. So anyone who's listening on the podcast uh, to this afterwards can, uh, can find your uh, YouTube channel as well. Is there anything else, any other place that they should find you?
3: Uh, no, we're on I mean, we're Facebook and all that other stuff, but they still have to be able to spell. So I just overhauled <laughs> our own website. So if you'd like legal prints, you can go by there, but um oh, also twice a year. We'll do a big uh, push. So if you follow us on social media, In the summer, we tend to do a T-shirt run, and in the winter, we tend to do a print run, and we'll pick a poster and a couple T-shirts every year to sort of put out for people to enjoy. Um, They're usually pretty tame. Uh, I really don't like going for edgy design. I usually just go for something simple and more classic-looking that's not going to... I feel like people tie a lot of messages to gun ownership and gun history and realistically i just want people to be proud of the history and not have to really associate any sort of political structure to that like the history can stand on its own two feet in my mind so we tend to try to present stuff that way um so if you're shy about maybe uh coming off like a gun nut i think we're probably a good station for a lot of people since we do tend to keep the show neutral
2: yeah your show is definitely neutral and uh, very even keel and uh and you guys do some cool stuff like shoot uh uh the mauser oh what was the big anti-tank one that they had that's there tiguer the yeah. yeah that's
3: 13.2 <laughs> millimeter anti-material rifle essentially
2: yeah that was uh
3: may that shot that yes oh yeah Yeah, that was a big project <laughs> to get that done
2: was that reduced power ammo or is that the no. regular power uh, stuff? the
3: only problem with that so i get that a lot is everybody wants to because ian has shot one as well so yeah. um Ian actually borrowed his from another friend of ours, Michael Carrick, and we borrowed ours from uh, another mutual friend of all of ours named Jeff. And so uh, Jeff provided some rounds that had been hand loads. So what we did is we pulled the bullets, dumped the powder and reloaded them to what we found to be spec. The problem is we could only get milled brass bullets, essentially, like we couldn't work up. A jacketed steel core round that was going to be balanced and perfect and yada. So what we did is we just went ahead and said what can this do with brass? So we essentially fired brass rounds at uh, An inch and a half thick steel plate and still cratered I mean just cratered the steel plate with solid brass projectiles not even steel, you know And so the problem is since they didn't punch through And that's what people expect. But you know half the problem is the projectile, you know mm-hmm. um So since they didn't punch through, people are going, oh, these must be reduced power or because May managed to stay standing. Because what they really want to do is see some poor girl go ass over tea kettle. And, you know, Ian went out into the desert and shot a tea bear as well. But they did it. I don't know if you guys have seen the video. It's like him in the middle of the desert with a bipod of some sort. Like, I still kind of make fun of him for this. Like, we've actually spoken about it. I was like, I don't know what you thought was going to happen with a flimsy bipod. He's like, there's not really anywhere to, like, bed the rifle. And I was like, yeah, well... We had a, and this was just already available at the facility, but we had a steel, like an iron angle welded table that was sunk two feet into the ground. We put 150 pounds of sandbags, your cat wants out. Uh, We put 150 pounds of sandbags on top of that. And then we bedded the rifle into the sandbags and the rifle has inch and a half deep spikes. And so we set up the rifle to be used the way it was supposed to be used, embedded. And then she pulled the trigger. So... I mean, that's a lot of material to offset that recoil. Yeah, and it's yeah, still it definitely looks look like it works. Film, it's still, I mean, it is a freight train. So yeah. um, we get that a lot on the on the light loads, but no, it's full load, light bullet, and then properly embedded. And so people will constantly compare it to Ian, going, "Well, just threw Ian over." I'm like, Ian's standing up with a a bipod thing, like sticks, like he's shooting it off a shooting stick. We're dug in with sandbags, kind of different.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, and Ian's not exactly huge, so not, something knocking him over in recoil is not, not saying I mean,
3: anyway, Ian it. knows how to take a shot. I, wouldn't, oh, yeah. I mean, stance is everything. he got more but... fully
0: autos than we have.
3: Oh, yeah, thing he I...
1: just, he's not a big, bulky guy, is what I No, mean.
3: no, I spoke to him, too, about that. Actually, it's just some background information. He was saying that the rounds they had, um, and this is curious because it happened to me as well. Our rounds, we fired each at round once, and nothing, light strikes you had to hit the primer twice. So we would fire all of ours once and then we'd load them and go, okay, this time they're going to go bang. And they did go bang every time. So once we had the light strike on each of them, we knew that we had them ready for him. He said that his ammo was just like the, what they had available was just cooking off randomly. Or maybe there'd be the, like, they'd have a little bit of a, um, my brain just froze hang a fire. little bit of a, yeah, thank you. Hang fire. Um, and so if you can imagine having like not knowing for sure, whether the, like 45 pound rifle with a anti-tank round coming out of it is going to go bang or not. And then if it doesn't go bang, you may have a hang fire. That's going to account for a lot of the shakiness that they were running into as well, because oh, they just never knew if it was actually coming back on them. or not.
1: Yeah. But, yeah. but that's a surprise break. I mean, that's exactly what you want.
3: I, I
0: appreciate <laughs> that, but um, Osayis, I have a random question before we uh, let you go. Um, this gun right here, the Tokarev TT33. Whenever I see a review on an American's YouTube channel, almost always it has a safety installed on it that wasn't original to the factory. Yeah. Um, what's with that? Because I mean, you can import <laughs> guns.
3: It's just an importer thing. Like, as they, um, it was an import requirement for the US uh, to have safeties applied at some point. I can't remember if it was part of the assault weapons ban or.
0: Or is it a country specific thing? Because, I mean, Glocks come in with those safeties.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't I'd have to look into it because I'm not that big on the, the lawyering. Right. Now, it, well. it could be um, that the Glocks uh, automatic safety counts because um, okay. they do have the trigger safety or whatever. Um, so I'd have to go look into it because that's not really my field is the modern stuff. But I just know that a lot of those came in with applied safeties. The other thing is potentially you see all sorts of crazy stuff uh, in the in the 70s, especially with firearms importation, where they start trying to add sporting features to them to make them marketable. Like some people wanted this kind of weird stuff. And sometimes they started the process going better safe than sorry for the market. Um, I'd have to look into it. I'm not really that sure on the TT 33s that came in later. Um, the only ones I have are like Russian made. So they're all as war. Um, I'm not, I kind of, my knowledge base falls off after about 1950.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So it's the ones, but so if I understand what you're saying, the ones made after 1950 are the ones that have the safeties. It's not
3: when they were made. It's, um, it was brought in the importers added them. Okay. So I I get run into all sorts of weird importer issues here because like the Santa Fe company was sporterizing Carcanos like crazy. So I constantly have people going, what model Carcano is this? I'm like, it's a Santa Fe. Like I can just look at it and know that Santa Fe did the sporterization on it. Um, So you just importers do weird stuff to try to fit into laws or to try to market. So um, I'd have to look it up specifically. I'm sure somebody out there screaming at their radio because they already know this factoid, but generally Since I fall off about 1950, I just haven't looked into that stuff.
2: Cool, it's all downhill after that, anyways.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of interesting stuff. It's just that people tend to be much more interested in it, so I've sort of moved into the areas where there's less data. Um, I think things after 1940 ish are much better documented. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to sort of roll back and be like, I bet you guys never heard of this wacky new dad. (laughs)
2: <laughs> or some of the stories that, uh, that you've talked about. In, yeah, that's uh, in fair. Like just, yeah. Those are, those are really interesting.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, definitely thanks for taking the time, uh, to, uh, spend with us here Athias. It's been, uh, it's been really interesting and, uh, definitely for all our listeners go check out C and arsenal on YouTube. Thanks all for right, coming guys. on. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's get on to listener feedback. Uh,
1: Brian, why don't you take this first one from Adam? Uh, don't we have to announce that we're, our listener feedback is sponsored by Highlander Tactical? Oh. Is that the professional way of doing this? <sighs> is it starting today? Yeah. We've we already announced this. We announced the news. Yes. <laughs> Yay. All right. Hey, Brian. glad you're here, Brian. <laughs> I'm like, all cool. right. So that was Adriel. So if if you get some correspondence with some original, maybe just wait on answering like he's maybe not the most
2: up, uh, Highlander tactical
1: nice uh,
2: well where all your holster needs we'll put your gun in our stuff and it'll
1: hold it what's the <laughs> tagline here guys And for <laughs> listeners uh, remember there's a promo code slam fire all one word uh, when you order to get 10% off which is you know hey 10% is 10%, right?
0: Yeah. That used yeah. to be the tax. And then Trudeau.
1: Uh, I think the tax was higher before. Tr- well, here. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Well, that's not, right <laughs> here. Anyway. All right. So let's smoothly segue to the listener feedback. And I'll take the first one from Adam Grant. Hey, guys. And Kelly. Oh, Kelly's not here to listen. That's that's so it's rude of her to not pups. listen. Yeah, it's... uh, Anyway, Uh, I know the draw was some time ago, but I had to wait until pre-order two of the BCLs were done till I got my rifle. No big deal. Ryan from SFRC kept me posted while I waited. When I received the rifle, wow, was I ever surprised at the quality of it. This one is a keeper. Since receiving the pistol rifle and chassis, I have put a 100... put a couple hundred rounds through the pistol along with the needed apex spring kit and closer to 500 rounds for the BCL. I also attended a CQB clinic with Barney, AKA tactical teacher where I used the BCL and my wife used the SD nine. My arms would have rather used my seven pound AR, but my ego wanted to use the close to 11 pound BCL. Yeah. I'm okay. Dude. My ego does not do that kind of stuff. Well, for a two You day. are more of a man than me. Um, I was a little manner. I was a little shocked to find out how much of the sh- how much of the shooters did not listen to your podcast. Well, that's wrong. But after telling them I won the rifle and pistol from your podcast, I think I recruited a recruited a lot more listeners. Yeah,
0: great. Now a bunch of people show up thinking they can get free stuff.
1: <laughs>
2: well, they can get 10% off uh holsters. Hey, uh, what Islander think? Tactical using promo code SLAMFIRE, so you know, it's exactly.
0: kind of What
1: they think they can get and what they can get are two different things. As long as yeah, they true. come listen, that's that's all.
0: And if they, actually, as long page they page
1: download page. the show, just download the show. We don't care if you listen; just download. <laughs> that's what's important. Yeah. <laughs> if
0: they become Patreonees, they could get something from the Calgary Shooting Center too, I believe.
1: Oh, this is true. Or well, uh, uh, patch in the mail. Yeah. Yes, the, yes, all that, that stuff that we'll that cover actually. later in the episode when it's the appropriate time, not in the middle of this email. <laughs> I can't thank you guys and, and Gal enough for the awesome win. And thank you to the sponsors who kicked in the awesome prizes. Is there any word on how Richard is doing? Any updates? Thanks again.
0: So then I forwarded that to Richard um, just to let Richard know that, you know, people were thinking about him. And uh, Richard replied, I'll go ahead and take it, Adriel. Yep. Uh, Richard says, hi, Adam. So happy to hear how awesome the prize pack is working out for you. It truly was an amazing thing, Slamfire, the sponsors and all of the participants came together for. I am still humbled by the community's compassion and generosity. As you remember, I was nearing the end of radiation treatments at the time of the draw. The radiation on top of that surgery have left some longer than expected effects. I have been on a liquid diet since the surgery in August. I have recently started taking tiny bites of more solid or tiny bits, bites, whatever of solid foods, and washing them down with water or milk, but it's still rather difficult. The reason for this is the stiffening of the esophagus from the radiation. Sorry, I can't say esophagus correctly. One of my friends pronounced the esophagus in university, and it just—it's the thing that stuck in my head. <laughs> Not appropriate. The rebuilt thro- from what? One of your friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the rebuilt throat and parts removed from my tongue also continue to heal and strengthen, but it's a long process. All in all, I'm still waking up each day, enjoying coffee and watching my granddaughter grow and learn. Thanks for sharing your experience and progress with your three gun adventures. Thank you also for asking how I've been making out all the best. Fantastic.
2: Yep. All right. Why don't we go on to uh, David. David. Uh, david asks hey y'all, i have a reloading question i know there is a reloading podcast but i know some of you reload so i'm fairly confident in your answers well somewhat confident at least getting myself set up for reloading and specifically 223 for semi-auto such as the ar i've read that i should use small base dies for semi-auto and regular full length for bolt action that said i keep seeing comments on forums where some people say that it is a, it is a must While others say they use full length for both semi-autos and bolt action with no issues. Which dies do you guys use and why? Is it that important to use small base dies? And then can rounds reloaded with the small base dies be used on a bolt action? Some comments mention that the small base dies are harder on the brass. True or not? I probably only shoot 10% of my total two, two, three rounds in my bolt action. And I'm trying to figure if it is important enough to track my reloads between the small base or regular dies as always love the show and look forward to the next episode. Dave J. Um, P S. Oh, sorry. I'll just do off. I'll, I'll finish this. One off. Yeah. I didn't see Go ahead. Yep. If you're looking to put on a Ferlachi course in Alberta, Tabor is the place in Southern Alberta in August. I can hook you guys up, mainly Matthew, with all the corn you guys can handle. I mean, sacks of corn. We have corn stands (laughs) on almost every street corner. Tabor has a corn fest party the last weekend of August every year. Tabor is well known for corn in Alberta. I I like my corn in the form of
0: moonshine. (laughs) (laughs) I like it
1: distilled. distilled. There you go. Nice. Um, Okay.
0: So let's uh, pick this apart here. Uh, full length versus um, small base small, base, small yeah. base and he was talking about for bolt action as well so um, and for bolt action you can use the brass in your bolt action rifle that's been sized for your chamber um, once it's okay let me start over because that was really bad you take you take some some ammunition you reload it you fire it in your bolt action rifle. The brass will stretch to the shape of your chamber, and after that, you simply need to neck size it so that the bullet fits in the neck again correctly. And you can then shoot that brass in your bolt action rifle a bunch more times. It'll be more accurate than if you full length resize it every time, because you're going to get more consistent pressure because the brass is fire formed to your chamber. Eventually, it's going to start to stick, and you'll want to use a body die and bump the shoulder back some, and or possibly start that piece of brass over with a fresh full-length resize. As far as semi-autos go, I've had small base dies and regular full-length resizing dies, um, and I've had no issue shooting brass that's been resized in a full-length resizing die. Um, So I I haven't had any reliability issues. So I actually sold off my small base dies um, because I picked up a set of X dies, and the X dies prevent the brass from stretching. And because they prevent the brass from stretching, when you resize them, you eliminate the whole step of trimming. Uh so that to me is more important than than having a small base by a small base die. That being said, I believe RCBS now sells an X die, which is considered a small base die. The idea of the small base die is that it undersizes the brass. The idea of undersizing the brass is that it makes it feed reliably into semi-autos, but semi-autos have a pretty generous chamber anyway, because they, they feed themselves by the power of their own gas, not by you manually cycling a bolt or a pump. So, um, I don't know, Brian, do you think small base dies are an answer to a problem
1: that doesn't exist? Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think they are, um, they don't, they don't actually, I don't think that they undersize the brass so much as they take them to the absolute minimum spec. Okay. Um, either way, but yeah, right. you're getting something that, that should chamber in anything. I've always heard that you needed small base dies. I think that, that, that started from people who made small base dies and wanted to sell small base dies. Right. Yeah. So I've, I load with a full length size die for my semi autos. Ne- I don't have a problem as long as the die is set properly. If the die is set crappily and not fully sizing the brass, it's not going to work. I've right. proven that. So
0: I recommend a full length resizing die and a case gauge. Yep.
1: Yep. And barring a case gauge, especially with something like an AR chamber, empty brass and make sure it comes back out of the gun.
0: Yeah. Take you the take, yeah empty brass. And if you want to yeah. do it with live ammo, just take the upper off altogether. And make sure that the lower is nowhere around if you're doing this in your house and just plunk test your ammo into your chamber. Yeah. Yeah. don't yeah,
1: don't have the bolt in it or anything like that because no, stuff take can happen. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, as far as neck sizing for bolt guns, that's what I've always done um, just because I was trying to get that that extra accuracy. Um, like Trevor said, once you fire brass in a chamber, it conforms to the size of that chamber. Uh, and then by just resizing the neck, you're then putting brass in um, that is going to more f- more properly align with the chamber and the bore. So it's yep. it in theory yeah, it's is, is an accurate, the It's less stress it's also, as well. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Now I've always uh, neck sized with a collet die, so it's just it just squeezes the the brass. It's not running a standard ball. Mandrel back, yeah. up th- mandrel back up through the brass, which is what which really causes a lot of the stretching anyway. So if, you know, but to answer your question, just use a full length sizing die and you can make it work. Some people swear by using full length dies for bolt actions too. They they don't do full sizing on it. They they set them back a little bit so it's a partial resize and some people say that's the best way to go. But I've had good luck with Lee Collet dies for, for accuracy too. So
0: same here, Brian. That's all yeah. I'm using. I'm yep. using a Lee, a Lee call die in my, for my precision reloading, both 30 out six and 308. Yeah.
2: When they first came out with those Lee Collet dies, uh, some of them were like the mandrel was a little bit too large and you would have to, um, I would just chuck it up in a drill and just sand it down a little bit just so yeah. it would like squeeze down the neck a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but my more recent ones that I've bought, I don't have to do that. They're just good from the factory.
1: Yeah. And then you can get into really fancy dies with with, with uh, bushings and all that stuff to really finely tune your neck tension and all that stuff. I've never gone there because I kind of got out of precision bolt action stuff before I got into that. So
0: yeah, that is a whole other thing too, where you can find out the size of the chamber and then neck size specifically to your gun. Yeah, the to the just bushings. go back,
1: and I I do all my brass prep with a full length die on my uh, Dylan six fifty. So. Mm. All the sizing, yeah, but, all the trimming, all that yeah. stuff, just done there. So,
0: um, yeah, you yeah. got a trimmer head set up on your Dylan, don't you? Yes. Yeah, That's I'm. Good. I'm looking forward to. Uh, processing a bunch of two, two, three now, and uh, I'm looking forward to taking it out, firing it, and then running it through the X die and never having to trim again.
1: Yeah, I I like not having to care where my brass goes when I shoot because I get mixed and matched with other stuff. So. Yeah, and you just want to like fling it into the grass.
2: Now, one of the things David's mentioned is he's going to use this in his AR and his uh, bolt action two two three. Um, do we have any uh, advice in terms of five five six cases versus two two three cases?
1: No, no, it's uh, the uh, no. I would just make sure you're using two two three data for two two three and five five six data for five five six. That's that's what I would stick to. Um, off the top of my head, I, I think how it works is. Uh, five five six would have more, more power, more powder, more powder, so more pressure, and it can be a problem to chamber a five five six cartridge in a two two three pressure wise. Whether or not it's actually going to be a and real problem wise,
0: you also have you also have a smaller internal. Case volume capacity in a 5.56 because the brass is thicker than 2.23. So uh, if, if you're using, yeah, if
1: you're using military brass, yes. Yes.
0: If you're using yeah. genuine 5.56 military brass, the internal case volume will be smaller. So you're going to want to reduce your powder charge because you create the same amount of pressure in a smaller place or the same amount of gas in a smaller space. Volume. You're yes. going to get higher pressure.
1: But you're going to work okay. up loads anyway so right just because you're yeah never
0: start smart. off with max load
1: yeah never yeah don't start at max and go up <laughs> just, never do that that's always bad so um, well, you gotta, now, gotta
2: see where the limit is you gotta see where it blows up um, and then back it off a little bit and then buy a new gun at and then their just... house
1: not at your house yeah that's that's yeah. yeah, yeah. one of those idea things uh now if you're gonna neck size i would separate your brass um, if you're just going to full length size everything anyway, then don't worry about separating your brass between your bolt gun and your semi-auto.
2: Oh, I would, I, I would pick like whatever, I imagine he's got a couple of different, uh, styles. I would like find one style. That's the nicest. That's like in the, in the best condition that is two, two, three, maybe. And I would run that, in my bolt gun. And then my, like whatever else I just reload for, for the AR. Right.
1: You, you, you might get some, uh, Better consistencies in powder charge and and case volume, that sort of thing. If you're using all one head yeah. stamp, so, just yeah. for the
2: bolt gun. Presuming he's going to shoot more like accurate stuff with his bolt gun versus, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Why not do that? Because you can keep it separate. So, yeah. but definitely, if you're if you're neck sizing one, you definitely have to keep that separate from your air. Don't take your neck size brass that that fits in your bolt gun and try and feed it in your air. It it will probably chamber, but. Eh like you've just kind of you've undone the the benefits of the fire forming yep. for the next sizing yep. so yeah cool. don't bother with that all right cool all right brian do you want to take the next one from colin uh yes uh from colin adriel and trevor have been discussing case gauges i know of someone in canada who sells some good case gauges it will do 100 at a time and spaces them out just right to fit in the red and green cases for le- uh, reloads uh the uh and he's got a he link here I thought we mentioned Fast Toys on the air. Yes, Didn't we did. Huh? Yeah, you weren't. I think you went online for Fast Toys while we were on the last episode. Is Colin like the guy at Fast Toys? Maybe. <laughs> maybe he <laughs> just, is. That maybe. would be clever. Yes. Oh, so, be, and, and uh, the cases, the gauges will uh, size it so it fits in an MTM box. See, yeah but sure. like
2: I, i'm doing like ice cream pails of this stuff the fact that yeah, no, it's no, an mtm box means nothing
1: to me it means nothing to you but some people live by having all their ammo in mtm boxes i don't understand it but some people just love it buckets so. I
0: started i never used to but i used to just throw the loose rounds in the ammo bag now nope i put it in the yeah um yeah i totally switched
1: a good okay. question okay that, that why trevor what what better and it's a literal uh, a legit question i'm not saying you're wrong i'm just like why do you feel it's better
0: one i don't know if i feel it's better but one of the benefits is i know exactly how many rounds i used in a match now because i come home and i can look at the case go okay this one has 40 rounds out of it and these two are empty so i shot 240 rounds today
2: i use an ice cream scoop and I scoop the bullets, and I I put them in my (laughs) container.
1: That's how I load my case of a powder. I thought you
2: were just supposed to take the case and just scoop it in the powder and strike off
1: the top with a card. Oh, that would be less messy. (laughs) I should try that. Thank you for the tip. (laughs) That's right. For sure. All right, yeah, you know what? Honestly, Trevor, I think uh, knowing how much ammo I used, it's kind of like keeping the receipt. yeah i don't want to (laughs) know no (laughs) no no, i can see that it it does it does make it easy to keep track of stuff that that's that's sensible and i'm i'm really anal about uh round counts on my rifle barrels um so, so yeah i do try and do that kind of thing too so
2: I've got, like, gradations on the on my ice cream pails. That's like, here's a 500 rounds, here's a 1,000 rounds, here's 1,500 rounds. But, like, that's, that's as far as so I go. So you
1: have graduated pails for ammo.
2: Yeah, I have a graduated pail. It's, so it's that's its
1: own level years. of nerdy anal retentiveness. Like, well done. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, that's, like uh do i need like 500 it's like yeah that's about that this is the
1: graduated pail and just (laughs) pour 500 rounds into another pail (laughs) actually you know what i do do it i i know that i can fit uh 100 rounds of 556 in a 12 gauge box or 120 if i pack it the right way and i can fit about 200 rounds of nine mil in a 12 gauge box that's no, that's we, my measure yeah <laughs> that's, your, that's your
2: so your, i, I uh, guess we all have headphones.
1: our system trevor's yeah. all fancy with the mtm boxes we're other just, yeah yeah we're doing it different probably wrong <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah anyway yeah. okay from, uh yeah i'll adjust next one because trevor doesn't seem to be paying attention
2: no i got uh, I don't know. it at all uh from Justin, what was the name of the earmuffs that you guys compared to motorboating boobs? I am in the market for a nice pair. Well, which kind? Um Uh MSA Sordens. No, I th- is he in the market for a nice pair of oh, um, stop it. Stop it. No. Oh, okay. oh. <laughs> uh MSA Sordens, right? With the gel cups on them?
1: I think yeah, uh, Brian's reaching. Optional for this. gel yeah, cups. Yeah, right here the uh, MS, MSA uh, Supreme X pro and the, the other name of the brand is not on here. And it sounds funny. I can't pronounce it right. So yeah, they're awesome. I love them. So good. There you go. Uh,
2: if you want to email the show, send your email over to SlamfireRadio radio at gmail.com. We don't have any iTunes reviews. Uh, if you want to uh, review us on iTunes or one of the other podcasting apps you have just uh, head on over and uh, give us a review and, uh, we should find it and we'll probably read your review on the air. Uh, Shoutouts, Trevor. Uh,
0: do I have any? No. Okay. No.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, then I'm going to give one to the guys over at uh, CDN Gunworks. They got their hands on an SLR receiver set, and the gun porn on Instagram has just been coming hot and heavy. And I'm particularly fond of their build because they have the same maple ridge handguard on their build that i'm putting on my build and i gotta tell you it suits it
2: it looks fantastic sweet yeah i've noticed that uh maccabee sent out some tester units to a couple different places so there's definitely a lot of pictures going up with uh with the slr builds yeah it's awesome i'm very cool chomping at the bit to get mine brian do you have any shout outs
1: you know i got nothing
2: all right now i've got uh one to ctc supplies for getting my gun transferred and mailed to me in like what two business days maybe three uh Mm -hmm. thursday friday got here monday i don't know what time it got here my wife i just showed up and was like oh there's a box huh i wonder what that is oh it's my gun what the heck (laughs) that was super quick uh the other one is to uh salish and that's for the uh cases that he sent over so now I get to make a video showing how these ones are corrosive and mine aren't, even though they're from the same year from China. So it's gonna be I mean, super interesting. Not really. It's just like this 762 by 54 is corrosive. This stuff's not. <laughs> Don't buy this one. And if you do and you accidentally get it, ask for a refund or ask for some money off or something, because you were sold something that's not the right goods.
1: I'm I'm wondering if the retailers are getting hosed because the the uh, possibly very sketchy source of the stuff in Russia maybe is lying to them.
2: Well, this is China and that is very strongly a possibility, but uh, you know, that's the, that's the retailer's problem kind of thing, right? Mm. It's like the, the, the factory number is usually stamped on the outside of the case. So if you're like, Hey, are you getting all this non-restricted stuff? Okay. We tested the stuff from this one. Hey, we're getting a bunch of stuff that's from this other factory. Maybe we should test this too, or it's a different year or something like that. Right. Mm. we're getting reports from users that are saying like hey this stuff was corrosive my gun rusted what the heck you know maybe you
1: might test it and check it out yeah i think i think it's there's also a certain level of well i guess are you paying more for the non-corrosive uh not
2: really yeah. so if they just sold it as corrosive it would be fine if it was if they sold it as corrosive and it turned out to be not or if they sold it and they're like Maybe it's non corrosive. Maybe it's corrosive. You find out. Luck of the draw. I think that would be fine because the prices are
1: fine for corrosive. Yeah. I just, for me, I just, um, I would say I'm gonna assume it's corrosive and just kind of deal with it. Exactly. You know. Hope for the best. uh, Prepare for the worst. Yep. Except the outcome.
2: Cool. All right, Patreon supporters, we have 92, and we got some bings. That's another Patreon supporter's email. No, that's Dave bugging me. Oh, okay, Dave. Dave. Is Dave a Patreon?
0: Uh well actually Dan. Dan was sending us Facebook messages during the show just to see if he would actually bait me into answering.
2: Is he a, is Dan a Facebook Facebook uh not a Facebook Patreon? Is he a Patreon? I'm not
0: sure if Dan is or not.
2: Mm. Should be. He bothers us. Not, not allowed to send Facebook messages while we're on the show. Yeah, Patreon
0: is only Dan. <laughs> oh my God. We gotta do a Patreon next. Yeah. Oh Keep going. we're
2: almost done. Uh, new Patreon supporters. I'm so over Charles it. You have P. no idea. Really? <laughs> Let's get through this part. Please. All right. New Patreons. Charles P for 223. I think I met Charles over the weekend. Uh, Alex P at 223 and Bear S at 303. Uh, Patreons, uh, make sure that you email in your address and I'll pop a patch and a sticker in the mail for you. And the t-shirts are that they redesigned them. The design looks better. Ah, I think I might just order them. I might just order them for <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm, not,
1: I'm for not in love with them,
2: but you. yeah, it's okay. It's okay. So I might just order them. Uh, if you want to be a Patreon supporter of us, head over to slamfireradio.com and there's a link over there, or go to patreon.com/slamfireradio. slash Please join one or more of our National Firearms Association, like the CCFR or the CSSA. Check us out on Gun Owners of Canada. Head on over to our Facebook group and like us and uh, message us during the show and hear the bings on the air, and we'll do all sorts of fun stuff. Good night, everyone.
0: So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something.
1: When
0: the talking is over, it's time to get a gun. All right, I'll just uh, sit here by myself and uh, see if there's any YouTube listeners, viewers watching, and uh, uh, we'll just chat amongst ourselves while you guys are gone. Jerks.